For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Nine minutes past nine on this Tuesday morning, the 1st of August. First day of autumn or not the first day of autumn. Maybe we'll discuss that between now and 12 midday. Let's get to the morning papers. And the uh, Echo are leading with Dropped the Ball. TD hits out over funding application. Donald O'Keefe reporting that a Cork TD has said someone in City Hall dropped the ball uh, in not actively pursuing funding to regenerate the Noonan's Road area. Thomas Gould, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central, said he was told in 2021 in the Doyle that a funding application to the Department of Housing was awaiting clarifications from Cork City Council. Doyle records show that in response to a follow-up query from Mr Gould in 2022, Housing Minister Dara O'Brien said he received a capital appraisal from Cork City Council for the Noonan's Road Apartments in 2021. This application covered energy efficiency upgrades and general refurbishments and upgrade works, which were not covered by a specific funding programme, he said. So Cork City Council have been informed by my department that they can apply for funding under the uh, 2022 energy efficiency programmes and funding may be available. But three weeks ago, Mr Gould and his colleague Cork South Central TD, Donica O'Leary, were told the department had yet to receive a funding application from the council. Drop the ball is the headline. Faulty Towers reply... Tagarda also says the Echo, a Cork man, made a violent threat against a member of Angarda Siakana, and when asked his name, he said, I am from Barcelona. I know nothing. Ian O'Sullivan uh, decided to use the immortal words of the Fawlty Towers waiter Manuel at the height of the public order incident after midnight on Washington Street. When the 42-year-old saw Gardie in Washington Street on July 1st, his first remark uh, was, what the F are you looking at? Garda Ross uh, Brookhausen then asked Ian O'Sullivan, presently living at uh, Cork Simon Community, to identify himself. That was when he made the Manuel-style reply. Check it out in the Echo. Also in the Echo today, signs needed to stop trucks on Blarney Street. The issue of trucks turning into Blarney Street has come up once again after a truck driver saw his vehicle become stuck at Friars Avenue at the end of Gronabroher Road uh, just before the turnoff onto Blarney Street. What a very sad story. You'll have heard Rory talking about it in uh, the uh, news bulletin. Two teens dead in Deb's night horror. Front page of the sun uh, is that main headline. Three others are in hospital and two are fighting for their lives. Two teenage students were killed in a tragic crash on their way to a Deb's ball last night. Three other people badly injured in the horror smash on the N54 near Clonus in County Monaghan were rushed to hospital. Of course, the event was immediately cancelled. Deb's crash horror, says the star's front page. Teen girls die, three others hurt on the way to a school do. The Mirror, also on the same story, two teens killed in Deb's crash horror. The girls just 16 and 17 died, and three others were hurt in an accident on the way to their Deb's event. How sad. Six-figure sum found hidden in the home of Sligo Killer, says the independent front page. Uh, a six-figure sum of cash was found hidden when Gardy searched the home of a man who murdered two men over two days last year. The Irish Independent can reveal yesterday, Yusuf Palani, just 23 years of age, pleaded guilty to the gruesome killings of Aidan Moffat and Michael Snee, as well as a vicious assault on another man. So says the front of the Irish Independent. Man pleads guilty to murdering men in their own homes. Uh, this is the mail today. A man pleaded guilty to murdering two men in Sligo and causing serious harm to uh, a third. Uh, the Examiner front page has the tensions, I suppose would be the right word, 
between Pau and McCabe. Pau and McCabe clash after Ireland's first point. Ireland returned from the World Cup to a homecoming in O'Connell Street in Dublin on Thursday uh, with some pride and a hard-earned point, but also with a cloud over the future of manager Vera Pau. A scoreless draw with Nigeria in Brisbane concluded an adventure down under that left Ireland bottom of World Group B, the jubilant Nigerians, Nigerians progressing to a likely last 16 meeting with England and Ireland's players and manager Vera Pau cheer as captain Katie McCabe speaks in the team huddle. Uh, and they all look very, very happy indeed there. And uh, they did us proud. They got to a World Cup. They gave lots of Irish down under uh, some fantastic evenings out. Uh, and they come home with their heads held high. They had some uh, incredible um, play. Uh, I think a little unlucky with the scores. I don't think it reflected their abilities, but uh, uh, home they come anyway. Uh, now, there's a price shock warning for put-upon families. This is also in the mail today. Households are being warned of further price shocks over the coming weeks, even as inflation eases off. Petrol, diesel, alcohol, streaming services, transport services are just some of the things going up in price, which will put further pressure on hard-pressed households. Meanwhile, residential gas and electricity prices remain at record highs, with only a small reprieve likely over the coming months, with renewed concerns uh, over food prices, say experts. Got an email actually from uh, our electricity provider to say, uh, your one-year contract is up at the end of this month, August. Uh, So it must be almost a year ago in this programme that we spoke to uh, one of the guys from GoCompare.ie and immediately that day I went and shopped around on that website and changed electricity providers. And now, uh, as the advice we gave at that time, comes the time to shop around again. And there are savings to be made if you have the discipline not to ignore the email and to go back online and compare your current provider to others because there, there will be discounts for changing over. Um, fix now or lose a fortune uh, is a very interesting article in the mail today as well. Homeowners may be needlessly paying €6,100 in extra mortgage repayments by not switching lenders. We covered this yesterday on the programme uh, with uh, Joey Sheehan of uh, MyMortgages.ie with rates predicted to rise above 5% in the next six months. Mortgage holders coming to the end of their fixed rates are being urged to act now to secure deals of below 4% or face sudden repayment increases. Many are kind of sorry now they didn't uh, go fixed at a much cheaper rate uh, years ago. It will come down. It's not going to go up forever. We're not going to crash Europe into a recession or anything like that. But I think there's another quarter percent, possibly another uh, extra quarter percent on top of that to go uh, before we move into the downward cycle of interest rates. Not moving in certain circles. Uh, diesel was put in petrol pumps. Saw this on the TV news last night as well. Motorists at one service station were accidentally given diesel instead of petrol in an isolated incident at the weekend. Circle K has apologised after it said it put the wrong fuel into the pumps in its Kill North service station, which is on the northbound side of the N7 in Kildare. So if you're uh, a shopper of Circle K in Cork, nothing to worry about unless you're in Kildare on that particular five-hour stint. For five hours on Saturday, all of the petrol pumps at the station were impacted by an isolated incident where diesel was inadvertently delivered into a petrol underground storage tank, the firm says yes, uh, said yesterday. I wonder what it'll cost them to uh, fix this mess. Circle K added that up to 87 customers, they went back on their CCTV, you see, up to 87 customers who passed through might have been affected 
putting pet, uh, putting diesel into a petrol engine, I'd say they are affected. Uh, if it was the other way around, you could take a little bit of petrol possibly in the diesel to increase the octane and clean out your engine. But the diesel going into the petrol engine could cause some serious damage. Uh, Circle K said in a statement, as soon as the issue became apparent, petrol pumps at the forecourt were immediately closed and Circle K launched an investigation to establish how this occurred. And they've committed, uh, apparently, to making good uh, any damage that was caused by that inadvertent error. Uh, Daredevil falls 68 floors from tower. Uh, and then you get this little thing. Uh, he was a friendly and humble guy, healthy and fit and happy. I feel very sad. Uh, but the main shock, of course, is uh, that a guy who was literally on top of the world, a daredevil photographer, trapped outside a 68th floor penthouse window, plummeted to his death. A maid is said to have seen desperate Frenchman Remy Lucidi frantically knocking on the window before he lost his footing. Police found the extreme sports enthusiast, 30 years of age, at the base of Hong Kong's 721-foot Tregunter 3 Tower, the highest of three residential blocks in the complex. Security cameras show him getting out of the lift on the 49th floor, climbing the stairs to level 68, where a door was forced open. The maid then spotted him outside. She called police, uh, but he's thought to have lost his footing. Not sure if he was chasing that elusive special picture. Uh, in the mail today, Tornishta gets in on podcast action. Fianna Fáil leader and Tornishta Micheál Martin is well used to being on the receiving end of probing questions from the media and opposition. And now he's hell-bent on setting the agenda in the Doyle summer recess, uh, says the mail today with his own podcast in a bold bid to control some of the narrative. In the first episode of his podcast, in conversation with Micheál Martin, uh, the Tornishta speaks with Dr. Mark Henry, author of, in fact, An Optimist's Guide to Ireland at 100, to discuss how Ireland has developed since the foundation of the state. Craig Hughes reporting there. You can check that out in the mail. Also in the mail today, almost one million watch All-Ireland final on the BBC with pundits Paul Meskell and Dara O'Brien. Nearly one million JAA fans from across the Irish Sea tuned into the BBC's All-Ireland final coverage the decision to air the Dublin versus Kerry clash on the British national broadcaster marked a historic move that introduced uh, the sport to much of the British public for the first time. Seath with no view, that will pay, as in Beyonce, €142. Euro. Beyonce is selling €142 Euro listening-only tickets for her concerts. No view of the show. So they must be behind the uh, sound desk or the support columns or something like that, often seats that aren't sold uh, because of there being no view. But if you can sell them for 142, I suppose the business hat on her says why not. The tickets are for her Renaissance World Tour, now on its US leg, and they're situated behind the stage, sorry, behind the stage, and give no glimpse of the crazy in love singer. And there's a new 3 million euro Dublin bar. It's opened with, wait for it, double toilet cubicles. What, I wonder would be the attraction. The new Bar and Swords features a unique toilet experience. It's called K67 Bar and Swords. It features its very own double toilet cubicles. I'm looking at a picture one here. It's two It's two bowls. They're closed, but they are within three feet of each other. Do you hold hands or what? Pass each other little notes. More than three million has been spent on the K67 Bar. Uh, the K67 features its very own double toilet cubicles. And I suppose they say friends share everything. Now a Dublin pub is putting that theory to the test with new double toilets in their cubicles. It's developed by the McDermott Group and includes 
these cubicles was previously known as the Harp in Swords, part of the Carnegie Hotel. And uh, the name of the bar, by the way, is taken from the air code of the Swords area. Would these be, you know the way ladies often uh, congregate and go to the powder room together, shall we say? Would these be uh, okay with some of the ladies that are listening this morning? Uh, I'm not sure if any of the guys would fancy sitting down next to each other to do their business. Um, But I imagine for the cost of two toilets, one photograph uh, in the the papers today, the K67 bar in Swords has got thousands and thousands of euro worth of publicity. The Neil Prenderville Show, Cork's number one talk show. Pure Cork on Red FM. No, to our phone lines, as is the program's business. And good morning to Mary. Good morning. Hi, now Mary, you want to talk to us about Cabana Leisure? I listened for about an hour yesterday to Neil's two interviews. I think one was on the twentieth, and one was on the twenty-fourth. Uh, now, the interview on the twenty-fourth, uh, well, the main thrust of the interview was with the receiver. And uh, although there was some good news, it was generally, as, as you would expect from a receiver, not so good news. Now, we don't want to mention any particular names here, but you have a friend uh, who's been caught for 40000 for a cabin, you claim. Yeah. When, when was the order placed? Uh, June 22. June 22, okay, just over a year ago. Now, this yeah. wasn't just for a, a hot tub or a, a sauna? Or no, a, this was for a, a home. A little office. Uh, that this was designed to be a home, so it was a large purchase. Yeah, very. Okay, tell tell me about the purchaser or the would be purchaser. Well, he works, I suppose, seventy hours a week. If he could work any more than that, just to get this place, every penny has gone towards it. Um, he's been in touch with them. The usual that everyone seems to be getting the excuses. Um, the supply issues, the same mistake, they are the same story everyone seems to be getting. So he has, he like he was in touch with them. He went down to them. He was promised to some moon and stars, and then three weeks later they closed. Yeah, so they're closed now. Three or four weeks, is that right? Yeah. So. Obviously, when he was with them three weeks ago, they knew things, or four weeks ago, they knew things weren't good. But they were still, like, promising the sun, moon and stars. Okay. How was the 40000 paid? Was it paid? It probably wasn't paid on a credit card, was it? No. Which would have offered some protection. Yeah, it was EFT. Yeah, okay. So electronic funds transfer. Now, Mm -hmm. at least there's a record of it. If you listened to the receiver yesterday... Um, he was, while not able, um, sorry, I listened to the receiver yesterday, it was from the 24th, um, while not able, able to, go, to go into with Neil uh, specific individual cases, uh, he did give hope for some of the purchasers or would-be purchasers in that deposits, he reckoned, uh, were paid to suppliers and manufacturers in Europe, possibly beyond Europe, and that they may have an option to complete the purchase if this is the case. Now, obviously, we can't say yes or no. That will happen on any individual case because we don't know. Uh, Are are, are you any way enlightened or any way aware um, if the order was placed, who it was placed with, if you can Um, chase it? You see, this is the thing we've been, well, I've been trying the last few days, uh, you know, tracking back on emails and stuff. I have found a company 
but there's no phone number to them. I've emailed them. They haven't got back to me. When I press on the link for the website, it says it's forbidden. So... Do you think the company exists then? I do, because I think I found them on Google Maps and the picture that that was sent by uh, Cabana, it looks like the same place, but it's in Lithuania. Hmm. Okay. And short of travelling to Lithuania and doing further investigation, what can you do? next on the agenda yeah <laughs> um because three weeks ago or four weeks ago when he was in with them he was told the his order was in ireland it was in cork but it turns out it's in lithuania so. okay so that was a lie anyway well, that was a big lie, yeah, another yeah. big lie. What was the delivery time uh, given? Was it normal? I think 14 weeks was mentioned quite a bit yesterday. 14 to 16 weeks, and then it went on, and then I, just because he was kind of going, oh, what am I after doing? Is it? And, I, and I looked at the reviews at the time. There was, their delays are long, but when they do um, deliver, they deliver, and people were happy. Now, this is going back to, we'll say, December when these reviews were that, like, and then they were given the excuse that, um, oh, the delivery times and COVID sure. and the war in Ukraine, whatever. So I was going to send to them hold tight. So I just sent them a message myself just to see what I'd be told and the same kind of stuff. I said, can you guarantee 14 to 16 weeks? No. So that was fine. So, and was it the usual excuses? Supply issues, uh, COVID backlogs. Supply issues. Uh, I'll call you back. They're not in the office at the moment. Someone's out sick in the office. Yeah. Um, my mother's in hospital. My son is sick in Berlin. Like really, excuses that you shouldn't be given if you're running a business. Like whatever goes on, family, you don't bring it into business. Like, if your mum or dad was sick at the moment in hospital, you can't come on air and start saying, oh, don't mind me, like, they're sick in hospital. You just have to get on with it, like, if you're running a business or you're being a professional. Yeah, your business has to be run so, professionally. red flags the whole time. Like, when you hear things like that, you're just thinking, mm, gaslight and manipulator, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great with the benefit of hindsight to, you know, form collectives like they have on WhatsApp, etc., and to say, you know, all the red flags were there, I just didn't pick up on them. And it's great for some people in hindsight to do that yeah. and to get some support. Uh, but if only they'd been in touch with each other, um, well, you know, while exactly. things were still operating. Yeah. Um, and know. even I had gone down um, when in February, March, I, I, I so happened to be in Cork. And he just said, just call in and see what that place is like. So it was like there was... A business running there and oh my god I knew straight away that the man was a chancellor mm-hmm. and, and what, what, what made you go there in the first place was, was there value on offer they were obviously not manufacturing on site no um, I did ask him that and he said they had what he needed and he'd obviously spoke to um, the manager or the owner and he obviously convinced him he was the one to go with and then even when he was paying his deposit 
the bank wouldn't, the bank had to do some checks and all before they would actually send the, po- the deposit on. So that kind of gave them a bit of comfort too, that they were like mm. legit and they were okay. Yeah, I, I suppose the banks can only verify that the company is is, is open, is legal, mm. is up, up to date on its taxes or whatever. Yeah. Um, but so like that kind as of regards their operations, the bank can't offer any guarantee there. No, but, you know, they had what he needed. And then obviously when he spoke to them, it was, you know, he was happy enough for what they told him and what have you. Yeah. I, I know there and are modular homes being constructed. I think it's in Glanmire there's a company that construct modular homes. And I know there's one because I visited it in County Meath by the hill of Tara called the Pod Factory. Uh, and they do exceptional work and they build to order on site, which gives a little bit of security and safety. But where do yeah. you go from here? Did you hear Neil talking to the receiver? I did, yeah. Yeah, so that's Jared um, Murphy from Jared Murphy Chartered Accountants. Now, he was very open and forthright, but kind of he was in a in a straitjacket as to what he could and couldn't say because, I mean, he'd just taken receivership and, uh, you know, lots of records to go through. He was able to say there's very little money in the bank, a couple of grand. Um, but the, the hope for some individual people was given uh, that once he tracks through card. each uh, individual order and deposit, he may be able to verify that, yes, your unit is built. It's in pieces. Mm-hmm. It needs to be assembled. It is built. It's in Lithuania. And if you owe another 40 grand in it, I'm sorry, it's going to be, say, 45 grand. I'm being hypothetical here now. But you, you, you yeah. have ch- you'll have a choice to walk away from the 40 that's now lost, per se, uh, or, or to stump up the remainder, maybe plus a little, uh, a little more, and, and, and to get it done that way. So there will, I think, be, I won't say happy, but there will be people who will get some satisfaction from this situation, while we have to assume there will be others who won't. Yeah, but the fear is, what else do they owe that company? That, like, if those orders are paid... Yeah, they, do, do, will he, they well, the receiver will have an obligation to those uh, to those who gave the loan notes. If 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 the company yeah. had borrowed money, there's also obligations, of course, to the revenue, uh, to suppliers, and to customers. Um, it's 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 the heartstrings, really. That uh, obviously a, a radio show such as this attracts people who have had personal loss uh, in in this situation. Yeah. But with, there are other attachments, probably, and relationships uh, that are also looking to be made good. Uh, by by the receiver, so it's going to be a bit of a I won't say free for all. I'm sure he will deal with everybody fairly, uh, but you must assume that some of the deposits will 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 not show up as registered orders, or may not show up as registered orders with proven product that you can ship in. Yeah, and see, this is the thing, and the most frustrating thing is as well, people put in orders like um, for hot tubs and things after. And like their orders have been fulfilled. Okay. And that's even now, like we, like he didn't order a hot tub, but he was t- promised he'd get a hot tub and he'd get a pod and this, that, and the other for the del- delays that has gone on with his order and whatever. But so we'll say someone ordered a hot tub, we'll say last year, and they didn't get it. But just people that got them a few months ago because you can see the reviews on Trust Pilot that they were very happy with it. So. You just wonder, where was that money going that people were given master? Were they paying off debts? Yeah, maybe they were fulfilling orders to, to change the direction of the narrative on Trustpilot to say, look, loads of happy customers here. 
Yeah, and then they donated like 25,000 to um, a project in 2022. Mm. So you're just... Um, we have a texture here saying, I was on with Neil last week. I contacted the company in Lithuania. My order was never placed. It Could you get that texter's... Um, We'll, we'll see if we can word. put you in touch. Are you in any of the WhatsApp yeah. groups or support groups? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm also interested because I don't want to pass over the... Because you gave me some information. Your friend works 70 hours a week to get yeah. this, I suppose, house deposit together. Now, it, mm-hmm. it, it is seen as a very cost-effective alternative to building a house. Uh, you mentioned your friend had this plot of ground. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this is often a way, sometimes not even needing planning permission because uh, some of these units can be assembled from the back of a truck and be deemed to be mobile if needed to be moved. Um, so what's the state of play with your friend right now? Obviously stressed out. Stressed out in a very bad way. Um, he finished up on his lease in where the place he was. So he's now actually living in a truck cabin. A truck cabin? Yeah. Not the cabin he was hoping to no. achieve and not the cabin he was working so hard to achieve. No. Okay. Look, what we'll do is we'll put you in touch with that texture. Uh, it seems you have some common ground. Yeah. And that You, you kind of had yeah. your order tracked to Lithuania, had you? Yeah. Like, there was photographs of it on a pallet, but did someone just write his name on it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Photographs can be used dozens of times over, I suppose, if if someone was trying to pull the wool over your eyes. You know, like, it's been pulled over his eyes so much, and, you know, he's worked so hard that he has, wasn't able to be ringing, say, every 10, 20, 20 minutes a day, ringing them to see where the order is. Like, he was given the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And then it just got to the stage where it was, no, this is just... You know, but that's going to have a mental impact on him because it's not just his money that yeah. was taken. He's thinking oh. of all that effort, all that sweat, all that toil, yeah. all those hours that he put in to fulfil a dream which was Basically robbed from killing him. killing himself, yeah. Wow. And then the whole thing now of, like, the accommodation is desperate to try and get, and then we have the students' accommodation now. They're all looking for accommodation too. So there's nothing out there. Mm. So... This is like what he's looking at now as well. Because his lease was up and that he was happy enough. Yeah, sure, I'll have my place then. I won't have to um, continue with the lease. So, yeah, that was fine. Will you keep in touch, will you keep in touch with us, Mary? I'm sure we're going to have uh, some more discourse on this. I know that the, uh, the receiver, Jared Murphy, has promised to come back to Neil uh, in a month. That was eight days ago, so... So mm. it's going to be about three weeks before he can have more clarity. And he gave what clarity he could, to be fair. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I hope there's more happy than unhappy uh, outcomes coming from this. Yeah. And if you would, like, that text, or just um, just to find out what company we're actually dealing with, because there could be many in Lithuania that we're dealing with as well. But just to see, is it the same ones that I think? Okay, I'll ask the guys to, to connect that with you, if that's okay with the lads. Yeah. That's yep. All right. Mary, thanks, thanks a million. Thanks, Jim. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. It's uh, just turned 25 minutes to 10. Neil Prendeville, Gold Imro Award winner for Speech Broadcaster of the Year. Cork's Red FM. Morning from the Neil Prendeville Show and good morning to Luke. Hiya, Luke. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Now, you're homeless and you've been living uh, in Travel Lodge, is it, for the last two years? 
Yeah, that's right, yeah. Okay. So bring us up to speed on your story. I've been there now the last two years and I'm on the CBL. I'd be bidding for places and stuff, you know, that doesn't really work. Do you know Okay, so two, two years is a long time. Uh, and then yeah, and then something happened yesterday. Yesterday. You received a call. Oh, I beg your pardon, oh, I thought it was yesterday. It was last week, was it? Yeah, last week. Yeah, it was last Wednesday originally, and then I was saying that, you know, your time is up, that kind of thing. Like, and then I said, was, my time is up, like, sorry, I'm not being out. Not, where am I supposed to go? Like, so where am I going to go? What do you mean? So they just said, look... Uh, we have a referral to the Vincent's Vincent Hospital. Okay, so so th- this came about because of an unfortunate situation of you losing a key. Is that correct? Well, not so much. It was I lost the key a couple of months ago, and I had under dice about this. I suppose getting a new key, and um, then it's uh, nearly two weeks ago now. I came back to travel. I had one night, uh, and one of the staff members said, "Look." Um, you haven't been there for the last two weeks. I said, well, that's incorrect. Like, you know what I mean? I said, what makes you think that? And he said, well, it's in the report book that you, you've not been there for the last two weeks. And uh, I said, look, that's, that's not true at all. I said, because I have no keys in my room, basically, they have to let me in. You have to, you have to be let so in. Said, there should be a record of that, so, should there? Yeah, well, so for the last two weeks, I said, that's, Untrue or misleading or false information put in the book about me. So I said, I was appreciative if that didn't happen anymore. I said, I've been here the last two nights, so I'm here all the time. Um, yeah. I said, Why just left me in the second night? It's just saying I wasn't there the first night. It's just saying I wasn't there. Pamela left me in. You know what I mean? All right, okay. Let's, let's, not, me, let's not mention any names of, uh, yeah, of yeah, staff yeah. here. But you obviously knew the staff. Yeah, sorry, sorry. You're, you're coming yeah, and going yeah. all the time. You know you know the name of the staff members who, who, who had yeah. let you in. Uh, okay, yeah. so so did this apparent two-day missing uh, cause some trouble then? Yeah. Well, it was then, yeah. And basically, I just said to the, the manager the next morning when I got up, I was passing the office manager over there. I said, look, can I have a order to? He said, you can't call it. So I just asked him that uh, I just explained the incident to him, like, and whatever, and he said, uh, he took it kind of wrong, like, you know what I mean? I was like, look, I called him by his name, like, and I said, look, Dennis was like, I'm not looking for an argument. I don't want any confrontation whatsoever, like, do you know what I mean? Okay. Um, so watch your situation now. You've been two years there. You've, you've been told, your, you've been told your time is up, but you've nowhere to go. Yeah, nowhere to go. No, they've asked me to, like, they said the only place we can give you is the Vincent Hospital, you know what I mean? But that's, that's not adequate for me, like, do you know what I mean? That's not as Well, look... There's going to be people say, oh, today it's, you know, place to go, but, like, that's not adequate to me at all, like, you know what I mean? Okay, we, we did uh, send an email uh, on your behalf, and this is the response uh, from the housing department below. The accommodation placement office would investigate all complaints brought to, to our attention regarding temporary accommodation provided. The accommodation provider can at any time terminate the booking, particularly in cases where there is a dispute. Uh, the, the staff would then immediately source alternative accommodation for the individual. So, is this boiling down to uh, a, a dispute between you and the, you know, the owners of the travel lodge? The accommodation provider or not, yeah. yeah. So, what happened was, the manager got quite abrupt because I asked him to carry out an investigation as he was the manager of the travel lodge hotel and it was his duty 
to carry out that investigation because there was false information being put in the book belonged to me or boot me. So when I asked him to do that, he became quite abrupt and didn't want to engage with me. And I said, well, I'd appreciate if you engage with me, Sam, because, you know, sorry. But yeah, try, con- try, and control the, try and control the expletives if you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're under pressure. Uh, but, like, he just started closing the door on my face. Then when I just said, look, all I want to do is highlight the matter. And I said, no matter who it is, I said, if you're putting false information in the book about him and reporting it to the council, that could put my place in jeopardy, which is has at this stage, you know what I mean? Okay, so where do you stand right now? You've, you've, you've been told to vacate by when? I, I had to vacate last Thursday, last Thursday evening. Okay. Um, I wasn't given any formal notice as to why I was leaving or when to leave. I just got a phone call and they expected me to pack my stuff and go. Where are you living now? Where are you staying now? Where are you sheltering now? At the moment, um, I'm staying in a, I'm staying in a friend's car. Okay, so you've nowhere else to go now, only the offer of St. Vincent. Yeah. Okay, and uh, you're you're slow enough to go there, are you? I was very slow to go there, yeah. Very slow. I mean, I'm not an addict. I've never been exposed to addiction. I don't, I'm certainly not wanting or and I have a friend we're going in round there, you know what I mean? Just I heard lots of things about the place, you know what I mean? I think everyone people listening will know about the place, you know what I mean? There's some people walking past any of the street itself and they won't walk past there because or they've crossed the road walking past it, you know what I mean? Well I'm sure St. Vincent's do amazing work, but uh I, I'm sure they do. You're like, not the first uh, person I spoke to who would be slow enough to go in there if if another alternative can be found. So you're living in a car, it's not even your car, it's a friend's car. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're happy, happy to highlight it for you. It, it, it seems like an unfortunate um, set of events that led you here. Um, did you ever, and no, please don't mention any names, did you ever have any reason for the staff uh, where you were staying to dislike you or maybe? No, no. I'll tell you something now. The, the report that the manager from Travelodge put into the city council was that I had an attitude with all the staff. And that's completely incorrect because I came back the evening that they rang me and told me all this was going on. And I was like, ah, I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull the staff in there now. Okay, well, let's, gonna, let, let's, let's see if the... And I did. And listen to this. They said, we, we didn't even know this was going on. They thought about we don't have any problem with you. And the security staff were on as well. And they said that... It's probably it's probably a mood point anyway because you've left the travel lodge now and you're living in a car. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let Let's see where it goes. Um, we'll keep on top of it and uh, we'll keep that uh, that communication going with the housing department. Um, let's see if we can rectify it for you. I'm not sure we can, but we uh, have you had any chance to appeal your case or any any recourse to finding out yeah. exactly why or what can be done. They said when I asked them why and asked for an official response, they told me that it had come to the end of my time there. So like the the Taoiseach said there a couple of weeks ago that people should only be in accommodation for twelve months, so I was there for nearly two years. Like, yeah, 
the end of your time you should be mean? when probably when proper accommodation is found for you, like, wherever that may be. Exactly, like yeah. adequately housed. Yeah. All right, Luke. The same Vincent Hassel, but, but taking a, a step backwards certainly wouldn't be adequate. Like you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. All right. Well, we're happy to highlight it for you, and we'll stay on top of it as well. Thanks, Thanks, Luke. Best of luck with everything. Bye-bye. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Coming up to 11 minutes to 10 o'clock on this Tuesday morning, August 1st. This is Mick Mulcahy and for Neil Prenderville. Now, a Cork TD has slammed the large increases in rent being paid by Cork renters, describing the housing situation for renters as a constant worry. Sinn Féin TD Thomas Gould said there's just no break for those renting in Cork as rents continue to rise significantly. He joins me in line two. Good morning, Thomas. Or Tommy, shall Good we morning. say? Tommy? Good morning, Mick. How are you keeping? I, I'm sure you prefer Tommy to Thomas, do you? Yeah, which probably means you going that way. All right. So the big consequence here, the rent increases, is really the quality of life. Because as you rightly say, you know, it's, it's a huge proportion of disposable income and therefore is always a constant worry. Yeah, well, you see, Mick, like, as you were speaking there to people earlier, Everywhere related to housing is in crisis, whether it's a social housing, private purchase, affordable, but rents are always actually one of the worst. Like what we see now is we've seen the highest rents ever in the history of the country, and that's the same in Cork. Yeah, I'm, I'm not suggesting for a moment, by the way, Thomas, that uh, that those who are under the yoke of paying a mortgage are not under pressure either, but at least they're in uh, under the roof, their own their own roof, their own home. Uh, but with, with, with the rental, it's often a lot more expensive per unit. Uh, and um, because you're trying to save, it, it has, a, has a bad impact on, on your, your quality of life, your ability to socialise or to plan a holiday or do anything like that. Well, you see, they say you're supposed to pay 30% of your income in your rent. But what's happening now is people are paying 50% and more. So what that means is people are able to let's say furnish their home, buy a car, have health insurance, um, go on family holidays, look after their children the way they want to. It affects their whole quality of life because like, it, it, it's based on people being able to work, being able to pay their rent, being able to live. And what we see, and the people I'm talking to know me are telling me they've worked hard, they've got a good education, they've went to college or they've got an apprenticeship, they're doing everything right. And they feel like they're trapped in the middle. They feel like the government isn't hearing or doesn't feel them. Uh, the pressure that they are under. Like what we've been calling for, and Owen O'Brien, our party spokesperson, I sit on the housing committee and the deal with Owen. What we're looking for is a three-year rent, rent freeze, and we've been calling for that. At least that would be people be able to, people would be able to budget then on how much they would pay rent every month. And we also want a ban on evictions. So what that would do is, because renters have terrified of two things. One, they're terrified that their rent will be increased with very little notice, or else they'll receive a notice to quit and have to leave. Yeah, but the, the ban on evictions was put in by the current government in power, of which you're in opposition. Uh, I know it's ended. Uh, so, but it's not a new idea for Sinn Féin to be calling for an eviction ban. No, but these two things would give renters protection because at the moment, renters have no protection. And Mick, this doesn't happen in other European countries. This wouldn't be accepted in Germany or Holland or France. It's only in Ireland where there has been a policy by Fianna Gael and supported by Fianna Fáil of a kind of a let the market 
uh, let the market supply and look after the housing and the rental sector. And we know that has been a complete failure. I had a lady uh, in with me recently. Um, she can pay her bills between the cost of living and the cost of, the cost of putting food on the table, paying her energy bills and paying the extra for her rent. She can't survive. And these are people who are working. These are people like who are trapped in the middle, the working poor, and they're, what they're telling me is that enough is enough, they just can't cope. And like Nick, you referenced all the other people on mortgages, we've seen another increase uh, on mortgage interest rates. So what we have now is we have people paying mortgages getting hammered, people paying rent getting hammered, and people who are looking for social housing that can't find any. It's just, it's a perfect storm in relation to housing prices. And I, I, I go to a clinic now at, at 10 o'clock, and I have to, over 20 people in that clinic, and 80% of them will be housing of one form or another. People looking for somewhere to rent, people looking for help getting a mortgage. People, people are just struggling right across the board because the cost of everything is so much. Like, I've had people on to me who are saying they have a choice now whether they pay their rent or whether they have, they're looking at whether they can heat the house for the winter and even the cost of electricity and food right now. And people are saying they don't know how they're going to cope. And they're looking now at the kids going back to school in four weeks' time. Yeah, they may sacrifice socialising. They may sacrifice any entertainment they would possibly be able yeah. to have. They may sacrifice a holiday. Uh, they may never even consider having a holiday. They, they won't sacrifice getting the school books and getting the kids back to school. And they, they won't sacrifice, you know, if at all they can help with the kids going to see the doctor and paying for that. They probably will sacrifice themselves going to see yeah. a doctor. And there's the slippery slope to bad health. And the thing about it then, Nick, what kind of a standard of living or what kind of a quality of life when parents and people have to avoid going to the doctors or avoid uh, looking after themselves because they're so worried about paying the rent or are so worried about making sure the kids have everything. And like what, what the figures, the CSO figures of last week was that in Cork, the average rent, the average weekly rent now, is 252 euros per week. That's up 40% since 2016. That's nearly a double. Like, how can ordinary people, like, ordinary people's wages haven't doubled since 2016? Yeah, Thomas, you, so, you, you and I are both old enough to have lived through the recession of the 80s and, uh, yes. and the crash of 2008. But there are many who would say it's never been so bad in Ireland now. You see, I tell you, though, Mick, and I, I made a speech in the dark this year, and I made a point that if you have money, if you're healthy, and you own your own home, that this is a great country to live in. If you, if you have no health or money worries, but if, you've, if you're worried about keeping the roof over your head, or if you're worried about paying the mortgage, or if you're worried, if you're on the waiting list for a hospital, right? For those people who are struggling, and then talking to pensioners, people who have worked all their lives, who are now struggling to pay their bills, and they feel abandoned by the government. It's like Nick, I, I remember the mass immigration. Some of my best friends went all over the world. I decided to stay, even though I, I considered leaving a couple of times. It's people feel very angry at the moment. They feel they feel very left out by the government. 
And what they're looking for is a bit of help. And the, the Taoiseach and the Taurus are saying that they will be helping the budget. The budget is October. This is August. People need help now. We had the same situation last year where help was postponed until the budget. People got through, but um, I, I know people who are, I won't say happy, but happier that their kids are choosing immigration now than parents would have been, say, in the 80s, when it was a very traumatic thing to take the, the boat or the plane away. Now I think people are, are, are coming firm in the knowledge that, look, they, it, there's a better life elsewhere than they'll achieve here uh, with all of the constraints that are put upon them, taxation and rent and property prices and every, energy and everything else. They're happier to, that their kids are, are, are going to far-flung places for a better life. Well, Nick, I'll give you two points in that. I have a very good friend of mine whose two daughters have gone to Australia in the last month together. Right? He has three daughters now and two of them are in Australia. And him and his wife are heartbroken. Now, they don't mind that their kids go away for a year or two to gain experience. That's fine. But his worry is they won't come home. That, that the standard of living, the quality of living is so good in Australia that they might not return. Now, these... That's, that's the two children that have left the country, right? One of them is a quali- both of them uh, college graduates, one of them a nurse, and they feel that there was nowhere here. They were living at home, and they couldn't find anywhere to live. And just the whole pressure of working here. And I have another friend who, who left. He had a really good job here, a really good job. And I spoke to him, and he said to me that he was 10 years working in Ireland. And he, because rents were so high, he had virtually nothing in the bank. And if he didn't make the move now, that how would he ever be able to buy his yeah. own house? And like this, this is the reality. Thomas, Thomas, I'm going to have to leave it there. I must go for news at 10. But Thomas Gould, TD Fish and Fane, thank, you, thank you very much. Uh, looking back historically, I think it was uh, Fine Gael that built the most social houses. And if Sinn Féin do get into power uh, in the next election, that's one of the uh, metrics they're going to be gauged on. Uh, this is a huge, huge problem. It used to be health, it used to be homelessness. Uh, now it's just accommodation across the board. That was Thomas Gould, TD for Sinn Féin. Our multi-trip blue insurance competition. I'll give you more details after news at 10. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Just turning eight minutes past ten. Good morning, this is Mick Mulcahy in for Neil Prenderville. Paul Sheehan is on line one. Good morning, Paul. Hi, Mick, how are you? I'm good. Now, your campaign and community manager with Simon... Um, and you're contending the cost of renting is going well beyond so many, uh, so many people's reach now, even with HAP. For the uninitiated, will, will you just give us a quick explanation of what HAP is, who it's designed to help and who it's available to? It's designed to help people who can't afford housing. Um, people who are on the local authority housing waiting list are uh, eligible for HAP. And um, people on that list would pay the same differential rent as if you were staying in a local authority house, what the HAP does is it is for the landlord in the private rented sector. So it is effectively local authority housing in the private rented sector. Okay, as it was designed back in the past, it probably was pretty effective. Right now, is it fit for purpose? Not at all. Um, you know, we, we do a locked out of the market report every quarter, which really kind of just takes a look at the private rental market for somebody who's stuck in emergency accommodation or somebody who desperately needs to put a roof over their head. And if you're depending on HAP, anything that's out there is pretty much well beyond your reach uh, and you are pretty much locked out of that market. It's particularly bad for single households 
uh, and the majority of people in emergency accommodation are single households. It's the fastest growing housing category in Ireland and right across Europe as it happens. Uh, but the number of one-bedroomed uh, housing that's out there in the private rented market and for that matter in, in social housing uh, is nowhere near meeting people's needs. But, you know, if you are depending on that half payment uh, and topping it up with the differential rate, which uh, is calculated based on your income, uh, you haven't a hope, really, of, of securing anything in private rented. OK. Uh, you know, as this programme will, 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 will be testament to, over the years I've noticed that it seems to be uh, that the situation is getting progressively and consistently worse over the last few years. So how many houses are out there at the moment that fall within the HAP limits? Uh, pretty much nothing really, Mick, to be honest. And um, The last uh, locked out of the market report that we did covered June and um, in Cork City suburbs, there was just one property one. within uh, half limits, one. Uh, and in Cork City Centre, there was nothing. Um, and that's been pretty much the case for the last two to three years. Yeah, and it would seem to me as well that it's evidential that the supply of uh, private housing to the rental market. And there are many reasons for this. Uh, many, uh, you know, of the uh, getting older landlords exiting the market with properties they bought uh, that have appreciated greatly. Um, so the supply of private rental properties has been kind of de- decreasing slowly and steadily. Yeah, I mean, there's a few factors coming into play at the same time, really. Uh, you've got the supply of, of private rented properties falling. You've got the demand for private rented properties rising. Um, and that's really feeding into an increase in, in rents. And when you're looking at average rents of 11, 1200 a month for a one-bedroom property, I mean, even if you're working, that's well beyond your reach. So, so there is the basis of your locked out of the market uh, report. So you're effectively locked out of the market, even with HAP. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, um, every day we hear uh, stories, people, they're just, uh, you know, logging into DAFT every 20, 30 minutes, seeing what's up there. Um, more often than not, you're asked to send an email. Um, uh, quite often you don't get a reply. If you do get a reply, you're joining 12, 20, 25 others. Uh, in a queue to view a property and in an open viewing uh, and really at the end of the day it's the person with a, a cash deposit in their back pocket and, and the first month's rent that will secure the property okay. um, and you know people's hope dwindles very very quickly and, and you know that's that's as concerning as, as not being able to find somewhere Okay I'm just looking at some of the historical stats here uh, Paul for comparison uh, let's, let's compare 2021 uh, with the latest report 27% mm-hmm. Of all properties examined in 2021 uh, in the lockdown of the market series, which you do, were available within the HAP rate. Uh, that percentage, I assume, has dropped now, has it? It has. Um, and I don't have those figures in front of me. I do. 5.4%. It's kind of 20% of what it was. Yeah. I mean, there were 50 properties nationally available within the HAP rate. And when you think of over 12,000 men, women and children in emergency accommodation. Is, ha- is HAP too much paperwork for your erstwhile landlord? That is an aspect of it, um, Mick. Um, we would argue that the uh, limits should be higher. And um, we've, we've argued that for the last two or three years, uh, that the, the limits to HAP don't match what's out there in the market. But it's a bit of a vicious circle. You increase the limits and... Um, you still got a, a dwindling supply of housing in the private rented market. Rents are going to increase further. Um, so it, it, it's just a never, um, you know, 
decreasing uh, circle. Um, it's the supply of property really is the issue. Um, and as long as there is a high demand for private rented and there's a dwindling supply, uh, those rents are going to continue to increase. Okay, so, so HAP, HAP means housing assistance payment. And yes. as the supply dwindles and as costs go up, surely the HAP bans or uh, is it a different allocation for each individual person? Is it means tested or situationally tested? It's uh, geographically based. So, for example, in, in Cork City, uh, a single person would be entitled to €550 Euro per month under HAP. Um, that would increase for a couple um, and or a, a parent with one child and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then on top of that, you would pay what's known as differential rent. Differential rent, that's what you'd pay in a local authority house. That's based on your income and that differential rent can rise and fall as your income goes up and down. So it's, it's based on what you can afford to pay. Um, and uh, when you add the two together, um, and particularly if, if your income is low, uh, you know, you're, you're nowhere near meeting an 11, 1200 euro rent per month for a, a one bedroom property and, and increasing for, for two and more uh, beds in a property. Okay, so effectively what you're saying, Paul, is that the private rental market is pretty much closed off. To, to, to most people here. So now you have an ever-growing queue of people waiting to try and secure social housing, enough of which are not being built. Yeah. And um, like the housing system is broken, Mick. It just is broken. It's not fit for purpose. It is not meeting the demand that there is now for uh, housing. And uh, whatever way you look at it, it's not going to de- meet the demand that will be there over the next five to ten years for housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the real grim reality of that is we're going to be, you know, looking at a housing and homeless crisis that we have been experiencing for four or five years, continuing for another five years, if not more. Okay. Tell me a little, Paul, if you will, about the Cork Simon community and who you're looking after. Well, traditionally, Mick, we would have looked after, you know, um, very uh, complex cases, people who, you know, experienced trauma in their uh, young lives, uh, which impacted on uh, their becoming homeless. Um, people with um, mental health, physical health problems, alcohol, drug issues, you know, all there. Uh, and, you know, once they become homeless, then that's that's another trauma on top of the trauma. But in recent years, we've been also meeting people who just can't put a roof over their head uh, and can't find a place to live that they can afford. Um, and more recently, we've certainly met people who are working, who are in full-time work, uh, and still can't afford to put a roof over their head. And is Cork Simon Community in your facilities there, which are near the, uh, in, it's, it's near the um, the Jury's Inn, isn't it? It is. It's there between the bus station and Jury's Inn yes. on Anderson's Key. Are, are you designed um, for medium to long-term residents? Well, you know, we've always argued emergency accommodation should be for the short term anyway. It should be for an emergency. It should be for as long as a person needs it until they can find to put a roof over their head. Uh, but increasingly, that's, uh, you know, uh, non-existent. We have people there long-term homeless. We have people there for many, many years. Um, most of the people there are single households or single adults. Um, last year, half of single adults in emergency accommodation in the southwest were long-term homeless. Um, it, initially, it was designed to uh, accommodate 44 people. That was increased to 47 people back in the day. Uh, we added uh, 16 mattresses on the floor for eight hours a night in our day service to accommodate a growing needs. That was back in um, 2017, I think. 
and we thought they'd be temporary. They'd I saw them being deployed on the 6-1 News, if you remember, about two months ago. Yes. Yeah, that's right. They're still there. Uh, they're still full. And what used to be a building that was accommodating 44 people on an emergency basis is now, of a night, about 72, 73 people. So you're, n- you're nearly at um, double what your design capacity was. That's right. Okay. And it's packed to the rafters. It literally is packed to the rafters. Every spare space that we can find is in use. Okay. And you've got a mixture there of people who have very complex needs, um, whose almost pathway into homelessness was inevitable from a young age, uh, together with people who just can't put a roof over their head, trying to get a night's sleep, going out to do a day's work. Um, it's it's a, a crazy mix, really. Are you fully government-funded, Paul, or is it you depending on fundraising? We're depending on fundraising. None of our services are fully funded, Mick. Uh, we are providing services on behalf of the state, but none of them are fully funded. And uh, if we didn't fundraise, we wouldn't be able to operate them. Mm-hmm. Okay, we, we, we salute you. I know you're at the cold phase, but my daughter works with you actually for a while and uh, she's got, finished her education and has moved on now. She was one of the girls putting out those mattresses on the 6-1 News. That's why I remember okay. it. <laughs> okay, right. I didn't know that, Mick. I didn't know that. But uh, we do. We, you know, we have full-time volunteers who come here from Ireland now, but also from around the world for nine, twelve months. Yeah, and they're always young people. They always describe it as an eye-opening experience, um, a formative experience. Most do continue into uh, social care. Um, uh, Tommy Tiernan worked with you guys, didn't he? I think there is a story going around that there was. Um, he might have volunteered for us for a while, for a short while. Yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting the people that you do meet who have uh, volunteered with Cork Simon in the past. I mean, uh, the place has been around since uh, the early 70s. So I guess uh, anybody who spent any time in Cork would have had some contact with the community. Yeah. Well, Paul, you seem to be very much on top of your game. I know it's a very difficult and tough job that you do each and every day, seven days a week, 365 a year. Campaigns and community manager with uh, Cork Simon, Paul Sheen. Thank you very much uh, for coming on the programme this morning. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Uh, that was a little enlightening, if a little sad. Let's go to line two and talk to, is it Hamp? Yeah, that's right. Hi, Hamp. Good morning. Hello. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I, I'm, I'm good. Now, you're a part of Feed Cork. Yeah, I'm the director of Feed Cork, that's correct. Okay, tell us about it. Uh, well, Feed Cork was started by as, as a community outreach of Cork Church. Um, we're located on Lower Oliver Plunkett Street, right up the street there from the Simon community. Uh, we started six years ago to help uh, on the other side of homelessness, <coughs> excuse me, to help keep people in their homes. So we just started an emergency food supply um, back in 2017, May of 2017, uh, and and really didn't uh, fully uh, grasp probably the need at the time. Uh, we started out, I think, supporting with five baskets of food, and that quickly grew. Uh, since then, we've we've done over 50 uh, 50,000 food parcels. Wow. The, the so you're, you're, you're helping to alleviate food poverty. Yes, that's right. But the, the, the goal of it was to help um, people that are in that pinch point uh, that are struggling to pay the rents, uh, to give them a little more money, to help them stay in their homes. You know, that's where we started. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a very noble venture and, and one that's very important because they won't sacrifice food. They can't. 
no. and, and often the rent or the mortgage will, will, will come under pressure. So if you're helping them to, you know, to meet that demand to, to eat mm-hmm. and put food on the table, then there's a little more to go around, as they say. That's right. That's right. Okay. Have you, have you seen your charity grow? Uh, yeah, we've seen that we've we've expanded our services. We've we've been able to grow uh, in what we're able to offer uh, the community. We've we've seen the numbers grow. You know, we've I think I spoke with someone there yesterday who rang me um, since last year, uh, January of last year, uh, 2022. We've doubled our clientele. Uh, so we've seen a huge increase. Uh, we went from 1,300 clients, uh, and that would represent probably 900 families. Uh, the rest of those would be made up of individuals. Now we're over 2,000 families and roughly 1,100, 1,200 individuals uh, that, that uh, have accessed us over the last year, year and a half for emergency food help. I would imagine the majority of those you're helping would be Irish, but there are other elements as well. You're going to have, you know, from pensioners to students, you're going to have foreign students, That's perhaps. Right. You, you could That's even have right. people in middle class who are who are facing that pinch point. That's exactly right. So it's a broad range of people that we help. We did see a, a shift um, earlier this year. Uh, we, we had a lot more people that, um, as you would say, working class families, that would come in were, were starting to access uh, emergency food helps um, just because maybe they, you know, they were already, uh, they were they were keeping their head above water. And then for one reason or the other, unexpected medical bill, uh, whatever, they were hit. I think someone there earlier, maybe Tommy Gould talked about that, about how, you know, if you have your housing and your health care, uh, you do very well here. But uh, if, if any of those, the rising rents, that's been an issue for us. The rising electrics, that's been an issue. So everybody has their own story. But we've seen that we've seen a um, we've seen food poverty grow upwards um, and not just downwards, if, if you know what I mean. How do you handle the logistics of it all, Hamp? Where do you get the food from, and how do you get it out there? Uh, well, we have a, a wonderful volunteer. Uh, you know, led organization where we have anywhere from 40 to 60 volunteers that come in weekly. We we do probably uh, on average five to eight tons of food a week uh, that we distribute. Uh, we we work closely with Food Cloud, the Department of Social Protection. Uh, they they provide um, they provide some of the dry food that we distribute. Uh, through what's called the SMD program, which is an EU-funded program, uh, so a lot of that, a lot of our our dry goods would come from that, and we do collections along with Tesco, Marks and Spencers, uh, Lidl, Aldi, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a smattering here and there of, of different things, but we we tr- we try and provide the the, the freshest uh, you know food possible uh, that we can. Uh, we we try and maintain very high standards. Uh, in our operation, so that when people come into us, it's it's not a step backwards, but a step forwards, and they feel, uh, you know, we try and restore or, or maintain that dignity. So we, we set up a kind of a shop that people can come to, and they can choose what they want. So we went from just delivering pre-made food baskets to now people come in, 
we have a free cafe, coffee, teas, cakes, whatever, uh, whatever is available that week to us. Uh, we have great people that help us with, with those sorts of donations. And when people you say a shop, Pam, is, is that a discount yeah. shop or is it a free shop? No, it's a free shop. It's a free shop. So they come through um, and they're able to, to choose from the fresh frozen section, um, helped by the volunteers, and then they go over to the dry, the dry goods. And so they're able to choose there what they want. Uh, so that's how we have it set up currently. Within reason, I imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a select. Now, if they, if they would want they, whatever we have on display, if they want one of each, they can have that. But we don't, yeah, we, we're, everything, is, uh, everything is rationed accordingly to, to what we would have on offer. Okay, and it's, it's not just yeah. the, the food poverty that's, that's creating the, and enforcing the pinch point, I suppose. It's also back to school, and you've done a lot of work in that regard. Yeah, that's right. So we've worked with the Department of Social Protection over the last four to five years and providing the back-to-school packs, the stationary packs, and they're, they, depending on which level of education the children are in, uh, from junior infants right up to um, leaving cert, we, we provide a stationary pack. Uh, and they're, uh, they're, they're actually very good packs. We, last year we did 3,500. This year uh, we've, we've received 4,500 packs. And we know, you know, it's going to, it's just that extra bit to help families. And we support schools with them as well. So we, we make deliveries to schools. So if any school, anybody's out there listening, um, you know, we work closely with the Dutch schools here in the city. Um, and if they need, if they need the extra supplies, we have them. Um, so we will have a couple of dates coming up soon. We, we don't put the dates up because there could be a, a failure in the delivery. Uh, so in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be handing out 4,500 school packs. Uh, and you can actually go on, if someone's listening in need of that, you can go on, just watch our social media, and uh, the dates will be put up there. We usually do it, uh, we, we do it for our clientele, and then we open to the public uh, on a Friday and a Saturday. So there'll be two weekends this year, it looks like, on a Friday and Saturday we'll be, we'll be opening up and, and distributing the school packs. Yeah, it's, it's almost ironic to me that a government department would be sending a 4,500 uh, copy books, folders, pencils. It's almost tacit acknowledgement from a government yeah. section that things are really, really bad out there for the people who elected us. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> I would agree with that. You're, you're obviously I a man with a very big heart, and, 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 and you continue yeah. to give hamp. Is that a U.S. Or a, or a Canadian accent? That's a U.S. accent, but I've been here for 12 years now, so uh, my days of being a blow-in are over, I think. now. What I've brought you here? <laughs> I came to work with Core Church, so I came over. My background is Christian education, so I came over to help with the training center, and then... Uh, Kind of, I wound up doing community um, or community outreach involvement and getting out in the community. So that's where I'm. That's what I've been doing the past six years, and it's been a wonderful journey for us. But it's it, and it's uh, you know it, as far as being connected in the community more. We like I don't know if, if you know this, but we do a, a wonderful program every weekend with the deaf schools. We we take referrals from deaf schools of children that may be struggling. Um, going hungry at the weekend so we we partner with brook foods and we we deliver in seven ready-made ready-made meals on the weekend to children in need 
every Friday, 52 weeks of the year. So we've been doing this uh, for over probably a year and a half now. And uh, that's sprung into parental mentorship as well, helping parents and then also uh, helping kids as well. So it's been it's been a wonderful journey on that end of things. i got to admit, it's been wonderful talking to you, Hamp. It's my first time coming across uh, Feed Corks. We're delighted to give you a little bit of publicity. Where can people catch up with you guys on social media? Yeah, so it's just Feed Cork. Just, just uh, put in the search bar there, Feed Cork. It'll come up Instagram, Facebook, and we have a website, uh, www.feedcork.com. Okay, fantastic. About what we do. It's been yeah. great talking to you. You're obviously a man with a very big heart, and I can tell that you're fulfilled by the good work that you continue to do. So well done, Ham. Oh, thanks. thanks a lot. Have Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. It's 10.30. Yeah. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork, The Neil Prendeville Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. Now, before we go back to our phone lines, uh, I'd like to mention our multi-trip blue insurance competition. We have a winner from yesterday, which we'll call out towards the end of the programme as well, by the way. Uh, but all this week on the show, we're giving one lucky listener a day a chance to win with thanks to multitrip.com. So if you're looking to book your next holiday, you can pack multitrip.com with all of your holiday essentials and it's surprisingly affordable. For more information or to get a quote, see multitrip.com forward slash IE. So all we want you to do is look after making the memories and we'll take care of the travel insurance by, by packing multitrip.com with you as part of your holiday essentials. Now we're not opening the lines right now but we will closer to 12 midday and what we want you to do is identify the three artists and the three songs by the way uh, from the clip each day. So one clue and we'll only give you one clue. All of these songs are holiday stroke travel stroke adventure related. The daily prize is €250 Euro plus one multitrip.com travel insurance policy. That's the European Essential Individual Cover. And if you'd like to look it up, as not everybody can win, of course, uh, on Instagram it's at multitrip.com, at Facebook it's multitrip, and on Twitter at multitrip cover. So have a listen to these. Don't call now. These are all adventure, travel and holiday related. They're going to be quick though. We're going where the sea is blue. Uh, we'll give you one more play of them, uh, but don't call right now. We'll open the lines closer to midday. We're going where the sea is blue. That's our multi-trip blue insurance competition. €250 Euro for grabs today, plus one multi-trip.com travel insurance policy. The European Essential Individual Cover. Back to our phone lines and to Hugh German on line three. Thanks for holding, Hugh. No problem at all, Mick. Good morning to you. Morning. Now, you and your partner are retired chefs, and you teach young and old about budget cooking. Uh, that's an uh, ever-growing importance uh, in many people's uh, budgeting, I think, is to do the healthy stuff, but do it on cost and on or below budget. Yeah, um, that's one of the things we do, definitely, because uh, with so many... I mean, I was listening to Hamp there uh, earlier. I know Hamp well. And he and his volunteers really are quite wonderful. And I would urge people to, to um, help in any way they can, certainly financially. It's the first I've heard of him. He should get a People of Cork Award or something. He should. He should. He's an extraordinary man. The amount of time he puts into this, but the amount of time the, the um, volunteers put in as well. And if you go in there, um, uh, you know, when their clients are in there on a Wednesday and a Thursday, you're met with smiles by all the, the um, volunteers, a tea or a coffee, sit down, have a chat, and you walk out of there with a smile on your face feeling good, you know? They're a wonderful bunch of people. 
I must well, go. And, I must go and visit because it, it, having heard about it for the first time, it sounds like it really is worth supporting. They seem to get a lot of uh, multifaceted support from some of the bigger providers of food, the bigger multiples, etc. Uh, but logistically, they're doing a huge job there. Oh, it's enormous! It's enormous, and it's all voluntary. You know, um, I, I, they're a wonderful bunch of people. They really do need as much help as they can get and as much publicity. And people like you can certainly get the word out there. So today is great. I'm delighted to hear Well, well I'm, I'm, I'm conscious we're not on the brightest subjects in the world today, with, you know, with, with housing and lack of accommodation and um, okay. pe- people hungry and pinched and trying to make yeah. ends meet. Uh, yeah. So it was good to get that sort of feel-good factor. And I think we'll get it with you as well. Um, I, I was in a, a local supermarket yesterday and I saw a guy getting a, a wrap you know, hot chicken wrap. Uh, yeah. It was five fifty, and I said that used to be that used that used to be about four quid. Um, and I just said that, that'll feed you. Well, it, well, he, then, then he got a he got a bottle of pop and a packet of crisps. And you're looking at maybe an, an eight euro lunch. Uh, yeah. Still, still cheaper than going maybe to your local carvery or whatever. Maybe not as nutritious. I don't know. But you would contend that you can feed a family cheaply for about one fifty, one sixty per head. How is that possible? Absolutely. Well, well, Seamus asked me to put together um, sort of uh, slow cooker stuff um, based on sort of um, a husband and wife or mother and father working, kids at school um, and really not having time in the evening or being too exhausted to turn around and cook a really decent meal. So uh, effectively um, that they can put together um, a meal, pop it in the slow cooker, go to work, come back, the kids come back from school, they can just lift it out of that and eat it. I, I don't trust a slow cooker. I'm afraid it'll blow up. I can I can just preempt um, the text that'll come in. <laughs> well, fair enough. You know, I mean, everybody to their own. But I have no problem with my slow cooker. It's a wonderful, wonderful item. So when, um, you, say, when you say slow cooker, you want, what you mean also is pressure cooker, yeah? No, 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 absolutely not. No, I wouldn't. I would. I don't like pressure cookers. They frighten the heck out of me. To be honest with you, that's no, what I was thinking. It's simply, it's simply a slow cooker. Um, you just pop the lid on top. There's no pressure, nothing like that, and it just sim. It won't even simmer. Um, it'll just sort of heat it up to a nice low level. I do everything, and all the recipes that I would give and the ideas I'd give today would be based on low. There's a high and a low setting. Go to the low. It, 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 it gives you longer. It gives you six to eight hours to cook, that sort of thing, you know. So while you're at school or while you're at work, uh, it's not going to be really overdone, you know. Okay, the most pressing question in these energy-straightened times is how does a slow cooker cost less if it's on for longer? Uh, it is. I, I don't, uh, don't ask me these technical questions because <laughs> I don't have an idea. But it actually doesn't cost much. Um, it, it, it's one of these things that's, that's a, low, a low output. Um, you know, um, other than that, I can't explain it, to be honest with you. Okay, so we're going to look at chicken curry, and we're going to okay. look at, I'm going to get this wrong now, cabiobata sausage casserole and stew. Are you? Well, <laughs> that's what we're going to look at, is it? Well, Slow cooker I, lunch I, I ideas. You, I'll run down a quick, uh, uh, the, the obvious ones are sort of like an Irish stew, a beef stew, a, a, a plain sausage stew. Um, all these things are not expensive. You can buy the, you must buy the cheapest cut of meat because it's going to be stewing for so long, it's going to be lovely and tender at the end of it. So never pay um, for the expensive cuts. Go for the cheapest cuts, the shin, the neck, those sort of things. Um, an Irish stew, because it's, it's um, lamb, is going to be that bit more expensive. But I, um, I wasn't really told to, to hit on the cost. But if I was to cost, uh, say, a sausage casserole, which would um, probably... Um, Oh, let me see. You're, you're going to use, we'll say, two sausages each. Um, 
get yourself a, a you know a chorizo sausage. Get a chorizo, chop that up nice and small. That adds to the taste. An onion, fill it out with carrots, a few bits of celery, and then go you know a bit of garlic, and then go in your 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 um, herbs, your dry herbs, any herbs you like. A tin of tomatoes, that's about forty cents. And if you're feeling really flat, oh, you can throw in a, a glass of red wine if you have it there as well. And what about um, seeds and pulses? Do, do they go you, twist you? Oh, well, absolutely. I, I do a lovely red lentil one. Um, it's it's a kind of a dal, really. It's um, you you get a, for four people, you get about three three hundred and fifty grams of lentils. You'd want about a half a pint of water. That's two fifty mils of water to to um, those with mills. Um, a tin of coconut milk, tin of tomatoes, garlic. Fresh ginger, lemon juice, a pinch of chili flakes, a couple of tablespoons of curry flour or curry powder. So you don't actually need the cumin, the turmeric, the garam masala and all those spices. If you don't have them, just have a bit of curry powder. And if you like a good strong one, have a strong curry powder or medium or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is that, that um, you, you can actually put anything you like into these things. That's a vegetarian one. But you can turn it into a, a meaty one by just simply adding a bit of chicken, something like that, bang it in with everything, uh, cover it up and put it on low for six hours. There you go. Oh, and shove it, you know, the lentils will fill out. They'll bulk it out and they're very good for you. Things like fresh ginger. Um, the one thing about ginger, people say, just the tip about it, people say, well, it always comes in far too big a piece and I never use it all. So wrap it up and put it in the freezer. It freezes really well, take it out, and then grate it when it's frozen, pop it back. So you'll always have it, and it won't go soft to the fridge on you, you know? So you th- there's kind of it. a sense of planning ahead in all of this too, isn't there? Um, well, this is what we try to do when we're talking about real budget food. We, we ask you to, to, to um, do your ordinary um, uh, budget, your house, mortgage, etc., 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 all those expenses, and then work out, because at the end of it all, the food budget is always tending to be the last budget. That's when people come to us. And they say, look, we've got X amount of euros a week. We've got uh, myself, the the husband, the two kids, and they're going to school. How can I afford to feed them with this? That's where we come in. We'll help them to plan ahead. What we tend to do is a sort of four-week plan, but a seven-day plan, four seven-day plans. And we'll ask them about their breakfast. And we'll suggest things like um, overnight oats and, you know, porridge and stuff like that, the slow-release food. It's great because that'll keep them going until lunchtime. If they're taking a sandwich to lunch, the kids, for instance, don't put it together at home. Leave all the separate um, ingredients together. Put it together just when you're going to eat it because you have a lovely fresh sandwich. Then you don't have a mushy old thing that's been been in the box all day, you know? You mean bring your Um, butter separately and everything? Well, yeah, why not, you know? Um, Yeah. the initial expense is probably in, in, in a plastic um, uh, lunch box. Sure. But keep or, or keep everything separate. And yeah. that way you don't It's nice and fresh when you eat it. Or a roll, or a wrap, whatever you're using, you know? Now, Hugh, um, Hugh German, you and your business partner are retired chefs, so you're speaking from a position of experience. I'm also cognizant that you're not offering a service for sale here. You're working with low-budget families who are struggling to make ends meet after the bills have come out, and your service is free. Absolutely. I mean, these the particular families we're working with, are, they can't afford us, so we don't charge them. Um, you know, what we're trying... The one thing I'm trying to get across, Mick, is, um, you know, one of the hardest things to do in life is to ask for help when you're in trouble. It's a difficult thing to do. People have their pride, 
they they feel um, sometimes they're going to be judged. Well, if I wanted to be a judge, I'd have done law, and I didn't, so I'm not. Um, they're embarrassed by their situation. They have no need to be. Everybody has their pride, but sometimes pride can be misplaced, and in these cases, it can be misplaced. What we want to do is basically say, look, we're putting an arm around your shoulder. Sit down there now. Tell us what you have, and we will show you how to plan your meals for a week. And they say, well, sometimes they say to us, well, oh, I, could, I don't know what to do. We say, right, get everybody, sit down, and all of your kids and all, write out your favorite dishes. And you'd be shocked at the amount of dishes they come up with. So what we do then is we pick seven of those for the week. And what we try to do, we'll say, just give you an example, because one of the, one of the great problems with, with food is the waste of food. And we teach them how to cook cleverly. So we, we, we will organize um, a week's plan and uh, seven main courses. We will organize the breakfast and the snack food and the sandwiches as well within the budget. But we'll say, for instance, on a Monday, we're going to have a spaghetti bolognese. Well, we suggest they purchase enough um, meat to make a double dose of bolognese sauce. And then we'll turn that into a lasagna for Wednesday. Okay? Okay. So we have two meals there. On a Tuesday, we'll have a chicken something. I always suggest you go for thighs, chicken thighs. They're cheaper. Don't buy chicken breasts. They're too expensive. Um, they're not good value for money. Chicken thighs are great. Um, depending on how many is in the family, you, you know, the packet has maybe four, five, or six thighs. You know? And you'll work out yourself how many um, each will eat. Um, we, you can make up simple sauces. I, I suggest to people that they make a tomato sauce at the beginning of the week. You know, a couple of cheap tins of tomatoes, an onion, a bit of tomato puree, etc., etc. And uh, whiz it up. If you haven't a whizzer, get a potato masher and mash it all up. And you have a tomato sauce there for the week. Um, you can have it for a pasta sauce. You can add bits and pieces to it, maybe a little bit of chicken to that, or a bit of ham or something. We don't suggest processed foods, but then it's difficult not to buy them in this day and age because, you know, they're available. But what we ask people to do is only, we, we then sit them down. They've got their, their dishes for the week. They, then we work out the ingredients that they will need for each of those dishes. And we'll say, well, okay, at the end of the week, all you're going to need is four carrots. So don't go out and buy a kilo bag of carrots. Go out and buy four loose carrots. That's all you need. There'll be no waste there. Um, so only buy what you need. And <laughs> when you go into the supermarket, don't be conned by this huge big, oh, I'll get this you know, thing for half price and what have you. If you don't have it on your shopping list, don't buy it. At the end of the week, you'll probably find that of those seven meals, we'll say for the two adults, those seven meals, so there's 14 there, you'll probably have at least two portions left over. So you've got a free day ahead of you going to the next week. It's extraordinary how, you know, you make a, a, a stew and you think, well, that will do two of us. At the end of the day, there's, there's a, a third portion left. So, I mean, none of us mind eating, eating the same thing maybe two days later, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're saving so if, the money. If a hypothetical couple, uh, and I suppose I must ask you, is this a one-to-one service or is it a classroom sort of setting? Well, it, at the moment it's one-to-one, but we're finding it difficult to get people to, um, I suppose, break whatever it is. You know, they, we want them to know that it is a confidential service, that it's a free service, and that there's, there's nobody judging anybody. We're all in trouble. We've all had problems in the last few years, and it's getting worse. So if and a hypothetical trying- couple ca- came to you, Hugh, and, and they say, look, yeah. 
we've got 150, maybe 170 to spend on food for the week for our family. But yeah. I'm concerned that I'm not giving them the wholesome nutrition that they need. Can we use that budget and your advice to feed my family better? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Um, I, you know, I, I, a lot of, say, we, we have a problem with a lot of kids not liking veg. So our suggestion is make, make an, a nice bit of mint of some sort, right? And get your carrots and get your celery and get your peppers and get any mushrooms and everything and whiz them up. And mix them. It actually gives you a more, a much nicer taste to your to your dish, anyway. But they don't notice chunks of veg in it, so they eat it. And I've I've tried that with my own grandson, who oh, he wouldn't eat anything, and so, he absolutely adores the the cottage pie now. And all the the veg is all whizzed up and cooked up. And so it's sort of like that. a sweet veg puree or something. Not quite pureed, but yes, you know, um, it 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 it's it sort of tiny little bits and pieces. You don't want to, you don't want it as a puree. It's rather yucky, but. Um, you know, you chop it so smally that, that they don't notice that it's a vegetable. Yeah. How can, how can people get in touch with you, Hugh? It seems like a very valid and worthwhile service. I can give you a phone number. Please do. I will, and it's 86 Well, now, we Mick, we'll, we'll meet them in their own homes, or if they don't want that, we'll meet them out for a cup of coffee somewhere, that sort of thing, and we'll go through it. Um, whatever we talk to them about is between them and me and nobody else. So you're obviously and passionate about this. Is, is it a sort of a fulfilling hobby, though? Well, it's more than a hobby, because I suppose what we're, what we're pushing towards is actually teaching kids how to cook as well. Um, because there's, there's always been a major problem with children leaving home and going to college and, and what have you. We noticed this pre-COVID many years ago that there was an awful lot of college kids in trouble um, because they couldn't cook. Now, they can all fry an egg and fry a rasher, but it's horrendous um, over a long period of time. It's doing them no good. And they need nutrition. They need proper food when they're, they're learning. Um, you know, um, so we want to catch kids at, say, a transition year um, level because they've more time to fit in the class and it's basic cooking we want to show them um, Yeah, so your fast food budget as a, as a student in third level could be oh. much much better deployed and you'll, you'll have much better crack and fulfilment in, in making something healthier yourself Yes, uh, in a okay. word Alright Hugh, th- thanks a million best of luck to you and your business partner, you're both retired chefs, Hugh's number again is 86 One final question and we have from a texter, what about air fryers? Are they a fad or do they save money? I have one of them too and they're just great. <laughs> Love them. We'll leave they, it at that. Is. Thanks, you. All right, thanks, Thank mate. you. Good morning. Court's number one talk show, The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. Seven minutes to 11 o'clock in the morning from The Neil Prendeville Show. Jerry Garvey is the regional administrator with the St. Vincent de Paul. Uh, good morning to you, Jerry. Good morning, how are you this morning? I'm good, I realise we're not on the happiest of topics, but there's some great positivity and great volunteers and great action happening out there uh, in, in the community. And, and you guys, of course, have been community-based and assisting uh, for dozens and dozens of years. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the big rush back to school, and I know we're depressing people saying if you subscribe to the Celtic calendar, we're in the first day of autumn, uh, having not had a summer. But uh, the, the big rush for school won't happen kind of till the middle of this month. Yeah, that's right. We, we, we have it every time, uh, every every year, around this time of year, people are kind of, I suppose, in their holiday mode, holiday mode in one sense, but they're also thinking ahead of the next couple of weeks when they're going to have to face into buying uniforms, books, all the back-to-school costs, and worrying about all 
what that brings for the, the coming year for them. Okay, now many people who would have been supporting St. Vincent de Paul before, low and middle income families, uh, as well as the better off, uh, but many of the low and middle income families you'd now see as historical donators are now actually coming to you for a little bit of assistance. And uh, it was mentioned by a previous caller, you know, that there's some shame involved in that and there shouldn't be. You're right. There is an element of shame because a lot of people felt, look, they're, they're, they're working families, uh, working hard, always made ends meet, could always manage their, their stuff themselves. And just through a combination of factors, including the, the dramatically increased cost of food, the cost of living, energy, they're just finding that there's nothing left at the end of the, the week to pay extra stuff. So when it comes to anything out of the ordinary, whether it's a holiday or an unexpected, maybe the washing machine breaks down, or things like back-to-school costs, I mean, the costs of, of back-to-school now are quite extortionate between uniforms and all the other things. And the one thing I would say to people, you know, the, who are reluctant to pick up the phone, and a lot of them are really reluctant, is look, in your hour of need, the Society of St. the Ball is here to help. The time will pass and the time will probably come again and you'll be able to come back and you'll be able to donate to us again. But if you have a need, our only basis for helping people is if there's a need. It doesn't matter what the background is, where they come from, what they've had in the past. And we would strongly encourage people, if there is need there, pick up the phone and talk to us. Mm. I listened to a very interesting uh, interview with Tom Hanks, actually, where he said the, the most valuable phrase he was ever taught in his life and got him through some very precarious situations was, this too will pass. Absolutely. And the ethos of, of SCP is very much giving people a hand up rather than a hand out because everyone will have tough times. And I remember a very wise old guy many years ago, long before these recessions, said that, that most of us who are working and living normal lives are in three paychecks away from poverty. If you can imagine, if you miss three paychecks, the first paycheck you feel the pressure, the second paycheck you're, you're dicking into your savings. By the third paycheck not coming in, you're in trouble because you can't pay your bills. And does St. Vincent of Paul... Is it mostly residential help you're giving to people who own their own houses who are in the pinch? Uh, but th- there's also a cohort of, for, for instance, uh, let me pick one, say third-level students renting. That's huge expense at the moment. And they're often in food poverty. Absolutely. We've had a huge, huge demand over the last two uh, academic years from, from third-level students who are struggling. I mean, accommodation costs this year, again, are gone astronomically high. To give you an example, we had someone on to us very recently whose accommodation costs here in Cork City uh, to a company providing student accommodation, 11,000 euros for the school year, for the academic year. I mean, that to me, that's just extortion. Uh, and are, are those Nobody type of accommodations, are, are they going on short let like Airbnb then when they're not being taken up for the 11 grand a year? I can't tell you for certain, but I know someone would be designated student accommodation. They'd be ring fence for student okay. accommodation, but there's no control on what they can charge. Okay, so what's your message as the regional administrator with St. Vincent de Paul, uh, it's, I, I would imagine it's to people, reach out, make contact. The, the message is pick up the phone and talk to us. Uh, if they don't want to come to us directly, I know we've, we've done an offer of work through the different colleges to the the, uh, the college services and the, the chaplaincy services and stuff like that. Uh, we actually supply quite an amount of food quietly to some of those services and they support people in a very quiet way on college campus. And for fuel poverty, Jerry, is, is, for, is fuel poverty, is, is that direct assistance financially or is it physical fuel being dropped? It's a combination for, for the traditional, when we say the old houses in probably parts of North City of, of Cork, it's very much the coal delivery guys dropping bags of coal. But we also support other things. We have a big scheme at the moment because one of the big uh, demands is people having electricity costs 
And we've actually set up a, 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 a utility voucher system with some of the energy companies where we actually provide people with vouchers to help them with their bills. So it doesn't matter what company they're with or what the issue is, if people have an issue with their, their utility bills and some of them have run into issues, you know, it could be a couple of hundred, it could mm. be a thousand or two. So just pick up the phone and talk to us. We okay. can work with people, we can support them, we can advocate with the utility companies on their behalf. And always be aware, uh, again, of course, as well of the SVP fundraising days, which are an important element of getting some of that liquidity yeah, we'll into be, the operation. Yeah, we'll be kicking off. I mean, our monthly monthly church collections again are this coming weekend. We'll be doing a flag day in October. We'll be doing our annual card draw uh, from late September right through to Christmas. Brilliant, Jerry. Thank you for contributing this morning. Uh, Jerry Garvey, Regional Administrator with the St. Vincent de Paul. Good morning to you. Thank you. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And good morning, Annette. How are you doing? I'm good. Now, your son went into first year in secondary school. Um, yes. And, and what was a choice subject there? Home economics. Yeah, so I suppose in the in the school that he's in, I mean, it's a fabulous school and everything. He's going to go into second year now next month. Um, so what they did was they kind of, you know, it's a good system in that they, they give them a huge range of taster subjects. Okay, so, so it's, it's almost like a tasting menu. You can you can sample exactly. and then decide yeah. at a later date, I'm going to have a main course of that. Exactly, exactly. So I suppose, you know, before Christmas, he would have done, like, home economics was one of the subjects that he did, and he really enjoyed it. And then after Christmas then, his particular group, they stopped doing home economics, and they went on and they did woodwork and tech, technical drawing and that kind of thing. And I suppose... You know, chatting to his home ec teacher during the parent-teacher meeting in November, you know, we were kind of, like, he was getting a lot out of cooking, kind of, you know, organising ingredients for himself every week, all that kind of stuff. He had to work with a cooking partner. And, you know, his teacher was fantastic in that, in the very short space of time that they had, they learned how to do a whole load of savoury things, sweet things, all this kind of stuff. And more importantly, they learned how to cost what each dish was going to actually cost them at the, at the checkout in the end. So I suppose, you know, for me, like, no, he didn't end up choosing home ec, which I was a bit sad about myself because I just think it should be a core subject. I think it should be like Irish, English, math languages. Home ec should be up there with it because I think it's one of those subjects that it's a real opportunity to teach young people solid life skills. Yeah, back back in back in our day, uh, yeah. home ec was almost the exclusive choice of the girls. Now, I'm I'm yeah. not I'm not saying it was exclusively for girls. Um, no, but it was definitely leaning like that was yeah, the vibe. Ninety five percent. You know, you 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 got some slagging if you went into home economics as a boy back in the day. Um, yeah, that, that exactly. obviously doesn't happen anymore. No, but, no. But all, all, on, on the opposite, the yin to that yang is that the woodwork and metalwork were almost exclusively boys. So people were sort of, they're not railroaded, but conditioned into accepting the, you know, the macho thing or the home ec thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, my my older, one of my older brothers would have done home ec. He's always loved cooking and he's a qualified chef. He's worked all over the world. But the slagging he got in the 80s for doing home ec, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was kind of like, oh, why aren't you doing woodwork? And, and he had no interest in woodwork. To be honest with you, he wouldn't have been safe to be allowed to have a saw or a hammer in his hand. He'd probably <laughs> injure himself, you know. But the cooking, he had such he had such a grow for it. And it really kind of, 
you know, cooking can be such a beautifully creative exercise. It doesn't need to be just this functional, I need to eat, therefore I'm going to, you know, shove some pasta into a pot or whatever. But how did that early food education stand to him in later life? Oh, well, I mean, he he ended up getting a scholarship to a university in New York, um, a culinary scholarship. So he ended up doing like a three-year degree, got full board, full everything. He won awards. He's worked all over the world. He lives in the UK now. He's like had really successful businesses. And I suppose, you know, I suppose I'm not making the point about home ec in the sense that everybody can be a successful chef. I'm making the point that, you know, you have kids basically encased in a classroom. So you have your captive audience and it's such a great opportunity if it was a core subject to teach kids about basic home DIY, basic cooking, food budgeting, cooking on a budget, cooking for large crowds, what stuff freezes well. Like this is all basic stuff that like, you know, our education system is basically putting kids through school and then they're let out into college they're living in halls of residence or they're living in kind of student apartments or whatever. And a lot of them are relying on takeaways because, you know, they don't, they're, they're missing those basic life skills. And on top of that as well, they're kind of, they've kind of missed out on an opportunity to really develop a love of cooking and in terms of how that directly leads into things like self-care and nourishing yourself properly, which then overall leads to better mental health. Yeah, there was a guy I used to know, um, I haven't seen him in years now, but he was from Bishopstown in Cork, and his name is Ross Lewis, and he uh, he opened a restaurant in Dublin, kind of strangely on the north side of Dublin. It was under the National Library, uh, so it was kind of off the beaten track, but he very quickly got a reputation uh, for being one of the best dining experiences in Dublin. It was called Chapter One, because it was yeah. un- under the National Library. Ross Lewis was the chef chosen to cook for the Queen on her visit in, uh, in 2011. So, mm. you know, he probably went through that same thing himself back in the, uh, well, I do the woodwork, metalworker, home economics uh, decision. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I suppose, and yeah, there might be parents out there now or teachers who would disagree with me, but I kind of think that there's a lot of emphasis in schools put on academics, getting the grades, getting the points, getting into college, getting the job, and kind of almost feeding into this whole machine, ultimately, you know, in kind of a lot of us just feel like we're in the our cogs. And I think that, you know, it's such a school, the school experience for kids is such an opportunity to learn basic life skills, you know? Transition year is such a great opportunity to kind of sit the driver theory test, and all this kind of, I, I just feel like, and I suppose, look, yeah, we started off talking about cost of living and food and budgeting and things like that. But I just think that there's, you know, it's just, it's a great space for kids to be able to learn. There, are, there are other life that skills that I, I think should be on every curriculum. One, one is the basics yeah. of electricity. You should, you, you should be able to change a plug and, and know yeah. that George Brown is a live wire and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, yeah. r- rather than having to ask somebody to do it for you. Uh, and and yeah. you should have the basic uh, basics of mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, like even if it was only changing a tire uh, or, or, or knowing yeah, how to or dip for oil or, you know, not looking I at know, it like it yeah. has two heads. Exactly. I mean, I remember in fourth year, we were getting tours. I remember we got a tour of IFI chemical plant down wherever it was, down in Cove or whatever. So, like, you know, I don't, I don't, like, looking back, I'm like, what was the point of that when I could have been learning basic stuff like you say there now wiring a plug 
you know, checking tyre pressure, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, it, it feels sometimes like, and maybe this is because we have so many big tech, big pharma companies in this country, that there's a real emphasis on, you know, preparing kids for that sort of a job. Like you do, you, you, regur- you learn the information, you regurgitate it, you get the point, and off you go out into the world. And it's like, yeah, you know, I think, I think our education system produces very good workers. But I don't know. I mean, I'd have to question how prepared people are, young people are for going out into the world. Well, the Irish are renowned for, for their application and work ethic. Uh, the, yeah. the problem now with things being so straightened here and so expensive is, is that we're, we're back into the brain drain and that people are leaving to, to fulfill yeah. their ambitions and deploy their skills in all the climates yeah. and all the geographies. Yeah, absolutely. And people kind of can't find places to live. And, you know, and look, it's a it's a bit of a mess. And I think you could do multiple other shows on, on the kind of wider thing. But I suppose the point that I was making texting in was, you know, from an educational standpoint, we need to get the kids when they're young in terms of, you know, this is basic life stuff that you're going to need to know. Yeah, and because, think- because b- budgeting and low-cost cooking... It's a great skill to have. You're not well. I'm going to have a. I'm going to go for a burger on Monday night. I'll get a pizza there because they're on offer, and then there's a snack box yeah. on Wednesdays, two for one. Yeah. So I get that for half price if I go with my friend, and that's not that's not healthy food budgeting. That's not healthy food, and and to be honest with you, you know, we talk about the rise of anxiety in young people and all that kind of stuff. All like all this stuff actually starts with the gut, you know. And if you know how to teach, if you know how to cook, nutritious meals on a budget it's good for your gut health which in turn is good for your mental health and it doesn't have to you be know? cheap and or nasty it doesn't have to be tasteless no not at all not at all but it's just but like you know if young people don't know kind of the steps to take or where to go like if they haven't been led or guided they're absolutely going to do the two for one ready meal at the body like I mean that's you know so a smattering of more practical elements in in the school curriculum would be would be helpful a little uh, bit of cooking yeah absolutely a little bit of electricity, a little bit of mechanics, a yeah. little bit of yeah, DIY. I, and I, yeah, and I think, you know, I think, I think home ec, I think you could incorporate so much of that into home economics and make that a core subject. Yeah, maybe it's not the sexiest term in the world. Maybe we need a new name for... No, maybe we... Well, it used to be Home economics, home practicalities, maybe. Home yeah, practicalities. Exactly. Or, just, or just life skills. Yeah, life skills, good name. <laughs> and thanks very much. Thank no you. worries. Thanks Talk very much. Okay, I'll, uh, back to a different topic now and to Sarah on line one. Morning, Sarah. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I've got a lot of text to get through on this uh, topic as well, uh, actually. But uh, Tommy Gould has raised some ire, has he? He has, yeah. No, I'm very nervous now, but he did. He made me very cross this morning um, with regards to the housing crisis and I suppose Sinn Féin's ideas with tackling it. Um, you know, I suppose we're hearing all the time about these rent freezes, rent freezes, and I just think it's getting a bit old and a bit boring now. And we need something new and creative. Um, so I do have a suggestion. Um, again, I'm very nervous now. <laughs> so I suppose my suggestion would have been, um, you know, for small-time landlords that have maybe one to two properties, instead of taxing them the 50%, which they're currently being taxed, to make an arrangement or an agreement whereby I suppose if they have tenants um, in situ that they say they sign like a three to five year term lease rent freeze 
and charge them 20% in tax instead. So then at least everybody's a winner. The people that are renting get to stay in the properties for an extended period. Landlords get obviously the tax break, which they need because there's so much being paid to government. And uh, it would help obviously with their increasing mortgage costs as well. And uh, I just think, you know, if we did buy that time, because we are in a housing crisis, and if we did that for the short term, for the interim, that by the time five years comes, we have a supply chain of houses available for people, giving them more options and everything. So I just think, you know, maybe a little bit more creativity is what's needed, opposed to just harping on the same thing over and over again. Yeah, we we went into great detail on on this topic on on this programme about a year ago, I think. Uh, are, Are you a landlord yourself? I am. I only have like one property. Um, to be honest with you, I was telling your producers there, or the guy that I was talking to, that um, you know I was very fortunate. I suppose when I was younger, I managed to buy a house that was pretty much derelict, and uh, my partner, my now husband, is a builder, so we've just I suppose put money in it over the years, and um, we just wanted to hold on to it because our house we had our fourth child, so we had to move house, and we wanted to hold on to it. So. Currently, at the moment, there's a lovely, lovely family in there, and I've had to serve them because it's uh, my mortgage is with a vulture fund. So, my mortgage, which was, I'll be honest with you, 600 euros, is now 1,000 euros. Right. So, I'm actually losing on average about four to 500 euros a month by the time I pay my tax liability as well. So, that's unsustainable. Yeah, landlords. so you're one of those landlords who has to exit the market and, and, and leave a family to. in a dire situation. That's it. And I mean, the thing is, I'm leaving because I can't even surf the wave for a year or two, we'll say. You know, like I was kind of thinking at the start, look, maybe we can do a year or two of this mad interest rates and, you know, eventually it'll steady off. But I suppose my fear is, if I'm being completely honest with you, is that Sinn Féin is going to get into power because I can see how people that are, you know, that have been served and, you know, people that are in dire straits now hold on to all the promises and all the empathy that they're giving. But in reality, there's no fix there for them. Sinn Féin are not going to heal these problems. And I just think, yeah, it just infuriates me, to be honest with you, because I did contact Ono Breen, the um, housing minister, and well, he's not the housing minister, he's the Sinn Féin oh, spokesperson. No, the housing, housing. Yeah, housing spokesperson, sorry. And I did say to him, I said, look, you know, is there any other kind of alternative whereby, I suppose, in the crisis that we're in, everybody can come out of this together? Um, and I suggested my thing about the three to five year lease for landlords of one to two properties and giving them that tax break. And he was basically, no way. No way. Yeah, I, I, I think that was the conclusion we came to on the last programme. We delved into this deeply on. Uh, and that's, um, you know, that the government or somebody, uh, an agency, could, could buy out uh, the vulture fund. There could, mm-hmm. be, there could be a tax break for the landlord or the um, potential purchasers, the family who are there, would, would be obviated of the need to have 10% down payment. But they'd sign a contract to stay in the house for five years. They're hardly going to buy another one if they can't afford to buy one in the first place. And that there could be a win-win-win situation for everybody. Somebody who is not going to go on the housing list is going to stay where they're living, keep their children in the same school, give the landlord a a tax-efficient exit and and get the vulture fund off the page. Yeah, yeah. Well, something like that. But I mean, Sinn Féin are just basically, from my perception of Sinn Féin and watching it on, you know, the Tonight shows and all the different things, is they're just singing and chirping the same old song 
all of the time. I don't think they're really bringing up, you know, solutions. They will empathise. They will say, oh, we feel sorry for people in renters. And then they keep saying these astronomical prices and freeze the rent. Freezing the rent has absolutely um, no benefit to anyone. All it does is it makes a, a bad situation even worse for landlords as well because you're going into the red all the time. And potentially I'm at risk of losing everything because of rent freezes. I just don't think it's a fair uh, synopsis, you know. People have this kind of perception that landlords are rubbing their hands of money each month and they're driving Range Rovers. That is not the case in Ireland. Well, I, 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 I suppose it's the old colloquial term of landlord. You know, you're, that, that, yeah. that you're a lord yeah. of the land. It's, it's probably not the most descriptive title for the hard-pressed people who are, like yourself, who are having to exit the market because you're losing money. That's it, that's it. And, you know, like, it was through hard work of our own. You know, it's not like, you know, oh, we inherited something and it's an asset of ours. Like, we worked really hard. And like I said, we have four children and hopefully, tip wood, my four children will get the opportunity to go to third level. And it's really securing their future that I said, no, look, like, let's, let's, you know, be savvy. Let's think of our future with our kids. Let's, you know, keep on to this asset if we potentially can. And, um, yeah, there's just no kind of, there was no middle ground, I think, you know, in the whole discussion of the housing crisis. Yeah. Um, Look, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not political at all, and, and I do sometimes feel that Sinn Féin, are, you know, they're deploying populist rhetoric. Um, uh, yeah, you know, that's the word. That's the word, is populist. Having, having said that, and I've interviewed many politicians on this programme over the course of, what, 33 years now, um, speaking to Ono Brin was the first time I felt this is a politician who is in full command of his portfolio, uh, in full command of the facts and, and the stats, uh, and seems to have a plan. Now, if that plan is or isn't costed, we really, really didn't get into it. How are you going to pay for this? But he's certainly a very, very able, media-savvy politician. And, and I got yeah, that impression from him genuinely. Uh, in, in fact, so much so I wouldn't mind speaking to him again because I did find him very engaging. Well, if you do have the opportunity to speak to him again, because on my communications with him, I personally didn't come away with that feeling of him. Um, what he did say in the communication, I have the email there, is that, you know, the current um, situation whereby, we just say for me, right, my situation, that my interest on my mortgage, there's, um, you know, you can discount that in your tax or whatever, right? He wants to abolish that for everybody. So we just say for argument's sake now, um, you know, your mortgage interest is 5000 right? You get that, um, you can take that off your tax return, but he wants to tax that as well. So he, he doesn't just want to leave the situation now at 50% for tax, um, or 50% for landlords. He also wants to take away the rule where the interest isn't being taxed. He wants to tax that as well. So he's actually going to make it worse. And landlords know this now. So they're saying even if even if they're living currently now just literally breaking even, they're looking potentially down the line that Sinn Féin are going to get into power yeah. and running, running, because Sinn Féin are the party that will, I, I suppose, like they just anybody with anything extra will be taken off. Well, Sinn Féin's biggest they, problem last time is that they misread the electorate and they didn't put enough candidates out there. They would have been in power. Uh, but when, yeah. but then when people saw, you know, who essentially voted for change, saw that the old parties, you know, who were once at each other's throats, um, you know, the, the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, were prepared to, you know, be very complacent bedfellows. Um, with, and, and I've often said it, that it seems to me that Fianna Fáil and, and Fianna Gael, their raison d'etre now, their reason to exist, is to keep Sinn Féin out of power. 
And as much as Leo Radker said today, we won't be going in as a, as a, as a single government, three party coalition offering to the people, we'll fight our own ground. You can be sure they'll all scramble back into bed together to keep Sinn Féin out of power. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose, you know what, me personally, I nearly hope they do, to be honest with you. Um, I, yeah, I, I, a couple of years ago, you would have said to me, I would have said, yeah, do you know what, we need change. The country can't keep going the way it is, blah, blah, blah. And I was definitely starting to air towards um, Sinn Féin. Yeah. But definitely now, I would say after the last 12 months and seeing them and their performance on radio and on television, I just think it's very much kind of like hindsight and just, you know, telling us all the bad things the government are doing and promising us that, you know, they're the, they're the ones that are going to resolve everything when in actual fact, I don't think they have the policies in place to be able to do that. I have a child here now as well. Oh, I can hear it. There's no, no, no problem. Looking but for a toy to play with. Sorry. No problem. That's life. <laughs> so, yeah, look, I suppose look, that's my two points for anyway. I just think, you know, um, these Sinn Féin representatives, you know, have this, for me, I think they nearly talk about landlords with a little bit of disgust. And maybe, like you said, it's dating back to the colonial time or whatever. It's just, I just think things need to be a little bit fairer and people need to look a little bit broader um, at the situation because it's not like that. Yeah. I, I suppose the assumption with landlords is, okay, they have, they're living in their own house. They have a house that they can rent. They're, they're one of the exalted few who've beaten the system here. But that's from hard work and, and, and graft back in the 80s, probably. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, you know, nothing came easy. We'd sacrifice everything, you know. I, you know, I was working in the supermarket at the time. My husband was on the building site. Uh, we just about managed to scramble to get a mortgage. And back then, I suppose they were throwing mortgages at people as well, which we were lucky, in a way. Um, and then they were bailed out. Lot stricter now. Yeah, yeah. But now we went to the Vulture Fund, and it's been a complete disaster, really. And I, I just feel that... You know, yeah, I, I just think that like we're we're pushing to a corner here whereby we have to sell. We've no choice, but we have to sell because of the policies that are in place. And when we sell, there is a lovely family, lovely family that now have no, there isn't one property in our location to rent. There isn't one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm dreading the general election. I know it's probably, it's, it's going to be a year and a half away probably if they can cling on. Um, you, you can see some of the cracks already uh, already emerging, though. Uh, Ogre Finna Fall yesterday calling for the uh, for Helen McEntee to resign. Uh, that can't be yeah. gone down too well in the corridors of power. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think the abs- absolute deluge of liquid silage that will be coming our way, not just from Sinn Féin, but from all political parties, independents included, um, you know, speaking on behalf of all social injustices that might exist in society and, and appearing to be the only saviour of all these inequalities, and we'll sort everything out. And from the yeah. 70s, 80s, nothing's been sorted out. No, and it'd be lovely. It would be just so refreshing to actually see a panel of politicians from all different parties actually saying, do you know what, that's not bad. And, you know, maybe let's go from it. Let, let's collaborate in some way, you know, but they're all out to get the kind of power hungry, you know, I want to look better than you and everything else, when inevitably they're not serving a purpose to anybody because they're just too busy trying to outdo each other, outsmart each other, out-talk each other, out, you know, outbid each other for the, the votes. And we're getting nowhere. We're just going around and around in circles. And Sinn Féin is just the same as everybody else. I'd love to see a party that actually said, no, I want to collaborate. I want to listen to all the good ideas. You know, um, it's like, like Sinn Féin could have a great idea for health. Um, Fine Gael might have a great idea for the Gardaí. I don't know, whatever. But, you know, no one party is going to have a solution for every single thing. So we need them to work together. We do. do you know? Yet, yet they right. will continue to sell us the, you know, the, 
the, the kind of sleight of hand or, you know, the, the illusion. They, they will continue to sell us that illusion that they alone have the answers and that mm-hmm. they will perform this time. Just trust us this one more time. And, and I, I think a lot of people really don't understand that even though we live in a, a democracy, we also live in a republic. And, and in a republic, the people really have no power. We only have the power to, to give those people the power. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. Sometimes I'd be discussing this at work, you know, obviously when things come up in the headlines and, you know, we're all giving our opinions and everything else. And I said, you know, we should channel a little bit of French into us all. You know, I yeah. think we do kind of just sit back and leave everything up to the government um, and we're great ones to complain when they get it wrong, but we don't kind of come up with suggestions. Look, my suggestion there over that three to five year period, that grace period, um, whereby the tax break is there, just that period of time. You know, we just need ideas. That could be a stupid idea. That could be some of your listeners there now saying, um, you know, this woman's off her head. That's absolutely fine, you know, but let's come to the table and come up with suggestions instead of coming on opinion lines and just cribbing and crying about, you know, everything that society has. You know, we need to be more activists, I suppose, in a way. Obviously, you know, the, you know, um, protests and everything has to be done, you know, in a, in a conducive way, I suppose, and not, you know, destructive. But, um, yeah, people need to start challenging the French. That's what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> we need to be more I like the French. All right, Sarah. Yeah. Best of luck in your predicament. I hope you get out of it, OK? Thank I, you so much. Will you, will you get out of it without losing money? Um, yeah, we will, we will, um, but yeah, just about. You know, is there any, um, option, any option for the family resident there at the moment to, to take on the property now? No, there's not, and it's one of these ones that I suppose, look, it's they're, I, they're not in a position, I suppose, to, um, you know, they're, they're not half tenants or anything like that, so the council buyout, I've contacted my local TD to see whether, you know, I could save the property for them, as in, like, could I just do a deal with the council and be done with it, and then at least they don't have to move and everything else, but no, I was told because they're not half tenants, that won't work. So basically, I have to put it up in the market and then maybe the council will buy it, but they're going to be out of the property by the time I put it up in the market. So, well, it, Surely the Vulture Fund will, will accept more than they're telling you that you owe them. Or sorry, less. Uh, you know, let, let's say you owe, you owe them 400000 Surely they'll take three hundred from a council. I don't, I, I don't know what way that goes. I don't know what way that goes. Because when it did happen, you see, we were with them... Um, Bank Scotland at the time, and I'm talking what's that, 10, 12 years ago? I, I can't even remember now when it went it to been, the, yeah. Uh, Pepper. Yeah, when it went to Pepper Assets. And he, like that, I rang them and I was like, why didn't you offer the property to me? Like, I would have bought it because obviously they bought the book out of at a reduced price. Why didn't you get on to homeowners? So I could have went to Bank of Ireland, I could have went to AIB, and I could have said, look, can I have a mortgage for this amount? Do you know? Um, the offer was never there, obviously. And um, so the, the only thing is, look, when we do sell, we will pay off whatever's left. We don't get any extra fees, which you would do if you did an early mm. settlement of a standard mortgage. But, um, yeah, I don't know whether the government could do some kind of an arrangement with people like that with Fulcher Funds. I, I'm not too sure, to be honest with you, but in my case... Well, it's an interesting case study, and I thank you for bringing it our way, Sarah, of, of a landlord who's, who's under pressure and has to exit the market. That doesn't help yeah. the family that's staying in your house at the moment, though. And that's the problem. No. Yeah. yeah. Th- thanks a million, Sarah. Thank you. All right. Take Cheers. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Coming up on 25 to 12 now. Winner of two goals at the Imro Radio Awards 2022.
The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Good morning from the Neil Prendeville Show at 24 minutes to uh, 12 midday. We have Dara Fleming on our WhatsApp line. Good morning to you, Dara. Uh, good morning, how are you? Very good, lovely clear line. Now, you put up a tweet yesterday and you're going to be educating me here on some of this social media stuff because I'm not off A. Uh, I hope you don't mind that. But uh, you're currently being blackmailed. I'll read it, I'll read it as, you, as you wrote it. I'm currently being blackmailed by someone who has naked images of me and is asking me for €2,000 in order to prevent them being posted, which I'm obviously not going to do. So if you see images of me somewhere, enjoy them, I guess. And that was the uh, the end of your tweet. Uh, take us back to how all of this started. Yeah, so um, I recently got back on Hinge, which is a dating app. Uh, matched a girl, seemed nice, chatting away to her. You know, she was familiar with Cork. She said she was from Cork. Um, we're just chatting, like, you know, the way people do. Uh, and then she suggested that we move to an app called Snapchat, um, which isn't unusual. Uh, people move over there from Hinge and dating apps quite often. So I was like, yeah, no problem. Uh, so so that's, that's, that's normal practice, is it, to move on to Snapchat to exchange photographs? Yeah, yeah. So it's just like, I mean, you can text each other on there and it's just like texting through text or texting through photos. Like, it's not exclusively nor uh, commonly used for, like... Um, just directly like sexual images but it can be used for that um so moved over there we were just chatting away kind of same stuff for a bit another week uh then she uh started to make the um conversation a little bit more sexual uh sent photographs of herself uh requesting some back uh which i obliged to do um and then that was fine another few days passed uh just a little bit of chat and then yesterday morning I uh, got a message from her and it was screenshots of some of the photos I'd sent her, plus screenshots of my social media profiles, plus screenshots of my friends and family social media profiles. And they asked that I send them two grand um, to prevent them being posted to the people I know. Uh, and then um, then my, my like, so you can ring people on Snapchat as well. So then it started ringing and it was this girl ringing. So I picked up and it was a man's voice and he said he was from Nigeria and that Ireland had it really nice and we had nice jobs and nice money and he wanted some of it. And he said, uh, give me two grand. And I said, no. Um, and then he said, do you have Bitcoin? And I said, no. And then he started going on about some app. So at this point I said, uh, you can go after yourself and you can send the pictures to my mother if you want. And I hung up and I blocked him. And then about an hour later, I got a message from like a burner account, which is like a fake profile on Instagram. Uh, saying, I'll drop the price to 500, the video's being uploaded now, this is your last chance, uh, and I blocked that profile as well. Um, and that was kind of the last I heard of it, and it was at that point then that I made the tweet, because I just thought, you know, um, I'll get ahead of anything that might come out. So yeah, first rule of PR is get the worst out there first. Yeah, exactly, and I told my parents, like, as soon as I told them to send them to my mother, I obviously rang my mother and told her what was going on, just so she wouldn't be absolutely shell-shocked if some random... Okay, let, let's too. go back to the start of all this, so, um, Dara, so, so we can put the put the pieces together chronologically. This was obviously a fake profile that was interacting with you. There, mm-hmm. was, a, there was a man behind it, not a pretty girl. Yeah. He's, he's obviously in command of those pictures, having probably scammed somebody else. Uh, and, and he's pretending so... You, you guys haven't met. You're getting more and more engaged and more and more trusting of each other because notionally, I suppose, why wouldn't you send more risque pictures to her if she's sending them to you? Yeah, yeah, correct. Were you, were you uh, hoping to meet and this would all have a, a fruitful conclusion? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we'd made plans that like we'd meet um in a couple in like a week or two. Like we we're like, Oh yeah, we're going to date at some stage. Um and then yeah, and then she started sending the pictures and um yeah, and it's you know, obviously, you know, I'm not the only victim of it here. So like this man who I imagine does this to hundreds of people a day has pictures of a, a woman that he's using that don't belong to him as well. So like there's there's multiple cases of fraud and exploitation going on. Um, and obviously the fear, the, the massive fear is that he would send the pictures. Um, but it seems to have been like the threat is more powerful than the actual doing of, because once he sends the pictures, then he can no longer get money off someone. So I think by nature of the fact that I was kind of combative and told him to jog on that probably just moved on to the next potential victim who might pay Possibly, off. yeah. Um, so Snapchat, correct me if I'm wrong because I don't use it, that, that's where the photographs disappear and you can't really screenshot stuff on Snapchat, can you? Uh, you can, but usually you get a notification if someone screenshots something, which I didn't get. So I think what happened is they used a second phone. To yeah, but if, if he was on an iPad Pro or something with high definition, he could take a picture of it. And you, yeah, and, exactly. And, and you'd never know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so this went on over the course of a week to ten days. And uh, have any of your friends or family been in receipt of pictures? No. So, like, he he sent me like specific. Basically, he was uh he was going to send um the pictures to anyone who had the same second name as me, and he sent me one of my cousin's uh like profiles. So yesterday, I reached out to my cousin and I was like, "Look, here's the situation. You might receive pictures. Will you just let me know if anything comes in?" Uh which obviously he was more than willing to help with and nothing has come in yet. Um, and they were saying I, my last chance was around this time yesterday. Yeah, this time yesterday and they haven't sent anything. So um, I'm hoping it's an empty threat, um, but it mightn't be. That, mm. That's the reality of it. Do you believe he's in Nigeria? Yeah, like I don't know why he... Well, yeah, because he, yeah, he had an accent, uh, accent in English, um and I don't really, like, I don't know why he'd say that unless he was just being a big, trying to be racist or something. But, like, I think he was just saying, like, I'm not even in Ireland, so you can't really touch me with the law, I guess. Yeah. And uh, and there's power in that narrative from his side, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, so. I, I I get 20 emails a day t- telling me, you, you know, you, you haven't taken the money out of your account, etc., etc. Et Dear valued <laughs> customer. Could you go away? I just blocked a lot of them, you know. They're like, they're like chain letters. Tear them up and throw yeah, them in. Like I, and I've received like those types of emails regarding sexual content before, and those are obviously very easily to tell they're scams because they don't have pictures, they don't send you the pictures. But yeah. in this case, like pictures were sent back to me, so someone did have them, um, which makes it far more real and the threat far more real. Um, and I suppose like the reason I tweeted was one to get ahead of it, but two, like I was reading up on it yesterday that like a lot of young men are being affected by this, and a lot of young men are taking their own lives as a result. Um, and I suppose I do a lot of work in mental health um, advocacy and I just wanted to ensure that like this can happen to you and it is awful and it feels terrible but like it will be forgotten about um, life does go on it, it is absolutely embarrassing and awful but it isn't the end of the world at the end of the day yeah, well, I, I was going to get onto that. You're actually an award-winning mental health blogger and author, and you focus uh, particularly on men's mental health, uh, and with a particular focus on suicide prevention. So we salute that work, um, and really have to salute your bravery for, you know, exposing probably the wrong word, 
for highlighting uh, this situation, which could essentially have been put, put to bed. But now you're, you're quite happily coming on and saying, look, this happened to me, it could happen to you. This is the route it happened. Snapchat was the vehicle by which the pictures were transmitted. Um, mm-hmm. can, can I just get into the minutiae, and you'd know more about this than I would, of how effective were they in getting the details of your friends and family and, and those accounts with which to scare you? I mean, look, they, they used Facebook, so like they, they got my name, um, then they went onto my profile, went into my friends list, which I've subsequently, so what you can do on Facebook is you can uh, make your friends list private so that no one can actually see who your friends are on Facebook, which I've done as a result of this. Um, but yeah, so they just went into my friends list, looked up everyone with my second name and was basically like, these are the people I'm going to send it to. Um, so it was like once they had, you know, they had my first name. Um, I didn't even give them my second name. So like in my in my Snapchat username, the first letter of my second name is in my username, but that's it. Um, so I'm not even super certain how they got my second name, but I guess just um, Googling Dara F will, will possibly bring me up. Um, so... But if you gave yeah, them two so grand that, or you gave them 500 euro... Uh, it's almost certain they'll come back for more, because they they yeah, don't that, they, they don't get a positive outcome on every on every attempt, do they? No, no. Like so, yeah. yeah I imagine like if probably the worst thing I could have done was pay the money, because then they would have just probably upped the price and been like, we actually need more money, and it would have went on forever. Um, so I was I was I'd rather just run the risk of my pictures being out there than like get into any sort of game where I'm constantly sending money to yeah. exploiters. It's brave of you. Tell me a little about the mental health work that you do, because you deserve that after being so honest and open about this. Oh, well, thanks very much. Uh, yeah, just quickly, I mean, I I, re- I wrote a book uh, called Lonely Boy, which is a collection of essays on my own mental health uh, that came out last November, and it's been doing quite well. And I also run a, a mental health blog called Thoughts Too Big. Uh, and yeah, it's just um, something I've been doing for eight years uh, on the back of when I was 17, my, my best friend took his own life. And so mental health and this type of work is incredibly important to me and meaningful because if we can help prevent uh, young men and young women and en- anyone really from taking their own lives, um, that's something that is absolutely worthwhile to do. So that's that's what I try to do. Okay, and for any guys who are listening out there who may be tempted to share pictures with uh with profiles who are sharing pictures with them, would you have any renewed advice or recently found advice? Yeah, absolutely don't send any pictures ever. Um, meet someone in person and they can see stuff in real life, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and if, if anyone is, is troubled by the conversation or triggered in any way, of course, we always give the Samaritans number out, 116123. 116123. Dara, thank you so much for your honesty and bravery and uh, please come back to us if anything happens, will you? Hopefully nothing if you don't come back to us. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed they don't have to come back, but I'll let you know. Appreciate it. Thanks a million. Take it easy. Thanks. Uh, That's Dara, who is a mental health blogger, award-winning author as well, uh, focusing on men's mental health. Now, uh, all week on the show, we're giving one lucky listener the chance to win with Multitrip.com. If you're looking to book your next holiday, you can pack Multitrip.com with all your holiday essentials. I'm going to open the lines in about 10 minutes, but we're going to give you a sneak preview of our three holiday stroke adventure, stroke travel songs here. And when we open the lines, we'll have a 250 euro voucher plus one multitrip.com travel insurance policy for European essential individual cover. If you want to check it out on Instagram, it's at multitrip.com. On Facebook, simply multitrip. 
uh, or on Twitter at Multitrip Cover. Can you identify these three songs in 10 minutes' time? We're going where the sea is blue. And after the break, Corkonians, the top fair dodgers on Irish Rail. The Neil Prendeville Show, Cork's number one talk show. Pure Cork on Red FM. It's 10 minutes to 12, uh, just to get to some of the texts that have come into us uh, on our uh, text line 0868104106 on WhatsApp and on SMS. Uh, hey, Mick, Thomas Gould is asking for a rent freeze for three years, but in the next breath, he's accepting mortgages are rising. How does a landlord pay his increased mortgage payments if his or her rent is frozen? The answer, what they'll do is put the property on the market and another family will be made homeless. Ask him to square this circle, please. It sounds to me like an unconsidered soundbite to get him on the radio. It worked, obviously, so please call him out. Uh, thanks, Kieran. Didn't get a chance to do that, Kieran. Didn't have your text in time. Tommy Gould on the radio again about the cost of living, yet he advocates for the dumping of hundreds of thousands of economic migrants down on top of our already stretched or non-existent services. A cork man was just on the radio talking about living in a car or a drug-infested hostel uh, when Tommy Gould and his lot have no problem advocating for the housing of every other nationality except the Irish. Hey, Mick, go over to London and see how bad it is there. Uh, you're saying to uh, up and go away. Away where? I know lots who are in Oz and they would give their right arm to come home. But because of the housing situation, they can come home. Here in West Cork, there's lots and lots of English people who are so happy to get out of the UK. The USA isn't great either. It'd be better if they could sort the housing here and get back uh, that council mortgage and get some young people uh, a way out of home. Something will seriously have to be done for the young people here. It's very depressing, Mick, from Marie in Clon, who's a regular contributor to the programme. Now, Barry Kenny is the uh, communications officer, officer with Irish Rail and joins me on WhatsApp. Uh, good morning, Barry. Morning, Mick. How are you doing? I'm good. 12.3 million per year could be lost through fare evasion, and we in Cork are the main culprits, are we? <laughs> I, think, I think probably both those things are, are, we should be taking a little bit of a pinch of salt. No, uh, uh, what, as was, where these figures come from is that the National Transport Authority conduct uh, surveys on board in terms of what tickets people have or and, and of course what that identifies as the tickets that they don't have. Um, uh, our own revenue protection checks would suggest that fare evasion is around 3%. These particular surveys had uh, at, at 6% and I think you know it, it is within that range but we wouldn't feel that it is as high as that. On the days when these surveys were uh, conducted, you are right in that. Okay, it's a day's data there. then. It's not a. It's, it's, it's not a consistent trend. Well, no, it is. It is over time. But on the particular, I suppose when you go down, like any survey. There's, there's kind of overall figures, but when you go down to a more local level, the sample size reduces. So it's, uh, uh, um, but on the particular uh, occasions when uh, the surveys were taking place, uh, Cork to Mallow, I'm afraid, was was the number one uh, culprit. Uh, but that isn't something, I suppose, that we would see on an ongoing basis. But but, but certainly on on those days, uh, uh, and Cork to Middleton, not far behind yes, either. Three so, out of twenty individuals uh, checked on the Cork Mallow services. Fifteen percent of all passengers didn't have a valid ticket while the figure was 12.6% for those on the uh, Cork-Middleton route. The fare evasion rate on trains between Cork and Cove was 7.2% on the day. 
Yeah, and as I say, then if you go to to intercity, uh, uh, you know, Dublin to Cork would have been at five percent on those levels. Now, I suppose this was a these are surveys that were taken over a period of fifteen months. What I would say is we have more staff on trains uh, uh, now. We've been recruiting in terms of customer service officers and and, and having more people on trains. Um, we've also had uh, in terms of revenue and protection. That's something that we are always putting our patrols out. And as I say, our kind of experience in that is the typical average rate is 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 in around three percent. But look, I suppose it's an issue railways face internationally. Um, uh, we're, we're, we're not alone in that, unfortunately. But that was one of the reasons why we have, you know, quite stiff fines that if, you, if you're if you fine travelling without a ticket or if you're travelling with the wrong type of ticket, because what you have, uh, I suppose, as well in this is it isn't just people with no ticket. It's people, for example, travelling on child or student fares that aren't entitled to those or indeed uh, having suppose, ha- you know, free travel as well and not entitled to those either. So uh, we will issue a €100 fine straight off. If you don't have the right ticket or if you don't have any ticket, it's a €100 fine plus the the fare you didn't pay. And if you don't pay that fine, we will go to court. And we're, we're, I suppose, it's something that we're quite strict and sometimes people give out to us for it. But the reason is because the vast majority of people pay their way. I guess you have uh, to be be strict. I mean, easy for people to assume. Look, the train is running anyway. It's a big, heavy yoke. My weight on it is not going to cost an extra uh, egg cup of fuel. So I won't bother buying a ticket. But these services have to be paid for. Exactly. And I mean, it is, you know, if, if, there's, if there's less revenue coming in overall, you know, then that means either through the, you know, the, the, the funding we receive from the NTA for our services or through the fares that that has to be uh, recovered. And we'd far rather have so the, the, the full revenue so we can invest in the service and we can invest uh, in improving it. Uh, uh, and look, you know, as I say, it, it is something I think people uh, understand and will want to see uh, more revenue checks, which is which is what we're doing, because uh, there's a huge kind of program and the work ahead and, we're, uh, and a lot of work to do uh, that we're planning to improve, improve the service. So, okay, can I, can um, I tell you a light-hearted yeah. story? Not to make light of sure. your situation with people dodging fares, but there was three Dublin men and, and three Cork men in Houston Station. They were coming down to Cork for a stag party, okay? So yeah. um, they were up buying the tickets and the three Cork men went up first anyway um, and, and they bought one ticket. And the Dublin says, no, nah, we can't chance that. So uh, they bought three tickets. And why'd you buy one ticket, lads? Ah, live and learn, live and learn. They got on the, on the train anyway. And two carriages away, they saw the, uh, the ticket inspector coming up. The three corkmen, quick as a flash, into the jacks. Uh, all three of them together. And ticket, the inspector came up, took the three Dublin fellas' tickets, knocked on the, on the toilet door. Out came one hand. Ticket, please. There you go. And uh, click. And on they went. And, and the dubs were amazed. So we're going to do something like that on the way back. So they all went back after the stag party to Kent Station, heading back up to work in Dublin. And uh, the three Dublin guys went up and they bought one ticket. So hey, we're as cute as you Cork whores now. Uh, so the Corkmen went straight onto the train. The Dubs were saying, you didn't buy any ticket. No, we don't need a ticket on the way back. Ah, live and learn, watch and learn. So they're all sitting together in the, in the, in the thing. They see the ticket inspector coming towards them. All six of them, three, three into one toilet, three Dubs. Three corkmen into the other toilet, and uh, about ten seconds later, before the ticket inspector came up, one of the corkmen went out and knocked on the dub's door. Ticket, please. <laughs> so I'm not just because I'm telling a funny story doesn't mean I'm making light of the situation. You're, you're not in, you're not endorsing the behaviour. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, but anyway, buy your tickets. The train service is regular. It's very, very efficient. It's it's very green as well, and and, and, and it's cost effective still. Yeah. 
don't forget because fares came down every every other price in society is going up our fares came down 20% in May of last year and 50% for young adults so it is it is good value and how, how, are, you, how are you on capacity as, the, as, as they say what, what's your capacity ratings at the moment it's at the moment it's getting very very busy on intercity services we're actually probably ahead of pre-COVID and on those Cork commuter routes as well they've recovered really strongly a lot of leisure travel I mean we've had a, a hugely busy summer for events uh, obviously last weekend uh, with, with the RN final a, a case in point so yeah. uh, Dart and commuter are probably a little bit behind but in terms of intercity and core commuter we are at or ahead of COVID le- of pre-COVID levels which is fantastic to, that people have come back to travel and that's why we've got 41 new carriages coming in from the end of this year Brilliant, uh, Barry. to help us cater that. Uh, okay, got to go. Very fond memories of your predecessor, maybe not your exact predecessor but uh, Andrew Roach. We had some uh, lovely times and, and uh, Great trips on the, on, on the train with Andrew. Or as we used to call him, did you know this? The the, the min- mayor of Cork? No, 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 no. the minister for transport. Minister, all oh, right, very good, very good. I Barry, thank- the, 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 no worries, the Latin walk in Cork was a walk to <laughs> Patrick's who Andrew Roach, because everybody knew him. You know? <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Barry. Great form. All Appreciate right, it. Cheers, thank Thanks bye a million. Bye. Cheers, bye-bye. That's uh, Barry Kenny. Communications officer with uh, Irish Rail. Now then, it's our multi-trip blue insurance. We're opening the lines. Please 0818 104 106, 250 euro to give away, plus a multi-trip.com travel insurance policy. This is the European Essential uh, individual cover and you can check everything out on Instagram at multitrip.com on Facebook at multitrip and on Twitter at multitrip cover. Identify these three songs. We're going where the sea is blue. My thanks to the Neil Prendival Show producers, Kevin Galvin, Seamus Wheelahan and Claire O'Connor. We're back in the morning just after news at nine, but news at 12 middays next. Call the Neil Prendival Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Catherine Long is on line four. Good morning, Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Okay. Let's see if we can get her here. Hello, Catherine. Hi. Hi. How's it going? You know the three songs, do you? I hopefully I do. Go on. Cliff Richard and Summer Holiday. Correct. Cheryl Crow and Soak Up the Sun. Correct. And Willie Nelson on the road again. Well done to you and well done uh, actually to Paul Murphy as well from Frankfield who also wins a voucher because we didn't mention him yesterday. Uh, you're going to get 250 euro and your own personal cover, the European Essential uh, Individual cover from Multitrip.com Travel and we'll get more, more to give away tomorrow. Thanks, Catherine. Cheers. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Bye-bye. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.